Hey guys, it is Future Sean here. While I am finishing editing the finale, to kind of set up what you're about to hear. So, here's the thing. As always with this show, something has to go wrong as we approach the ending. Don't worry, the finale is not gone this time like with Words of Radiance. We lost one episode. It sucks because Oathbringer is such a big finale that what we lost is still impactful. We lost the reveal of the Voidbringers being humanity, and pretty much the ending of part three is what was lost. But we managed, oh, I'm sorry, no, the ending of part four is what was lost. But we kept all of part five. All of part five is good, and uh, I'm almost done editing all of it. I just have to edit the last couple chapters still. All the Battle of Thalen Field, all of that is, is, all, is all good and mostly edited at this point. I'm just popping in here to tell you guys that we had to record this in a strange way because it was so much. So much happens. We had to do like a bunch of little recording sessions. Uh, so because of that, I might have to pop in every so often to kind of be like, hey, if this sounds weird, it's because there was time between recordings. I'm going to try to make it sound as seamless, seamless as possible. But if for some reason I have to pop in after, uh, after the fact and, and, and explain something, I'm going to. I'm just going to let the episode start to play now. So uh, enjoy the beginning of the end of Oathbringer. Hello and welcome to Speak the Words of Cosmic Podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Nando. It's a podcast where I, big Brando Sando fan, is, is slowly but surely walking Mango through the story of the Stormlight Archive secondhand. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, Mango does not read the books, but I do, and I just kind of summarize what happens. And as we get closer to the end, I take a lot more from the text because Brandon Sanderson writes a really good ending. We are on the very end of Oathbringer. We are about to start part five. I think it'll take us three episodes to get through part five. Three uh, bigger episodes. I'm nervous. What do, you, what, do you, what do you have to be nervous about? Uh, the end of the book where there's going to be a battle. And we've already had an important character die. Oh, oh okay. I see. I see what you're, I see what you're worried about. Uh, last time, we had a little reveal, Mango. It was a tiny thing. I don't know that it's really going to matter as we go through the books uh, as we continue. No, of course not. It's only exactly where the humans came from. Yeah. Not anything important. It's not Not really anything important. they can change. No. So. Uh, humans are the Voidbringers. They were... Uh, uh, Odium was their original well, god. They, they were the original Voidbringers. They are not the current Voidbringers. Yes. But the Voidbringers of Legends... Uh, uh, refers originally to the humans, and then, of course, obviously, over time, things changed. As uh, people shifted sides, uh, the humans became... became uh, they started to, to follow honor instead of odium, and the singers changed. That was pretty much the really big reveal last time, was that also Tarvangian totally outplayed Dalinar, like, in every single way. Oh, yeah. Uh, and yeah. pretty much destroyed the coalition right before this big battle is about to happen. Yeah, basically the only person who's still working with him is only working with him because she wants her kingdom to not die. Yes. So. Even Bridge 4 has gone back to Yurithiru. 
uh, as as they are not certain about about what was said about uh, like the, they don't know. I thought about they the... didn't yet. I thought that he was trying to convince them to stay, and then something big happened, and then they all like. No, they they dipped. They left. Uh, oh. He he tries to convince them to stay. They walk away, and he turns around, and that's when he sees uh, Taravangian. And then in the in Shadesmar, Azure left. Goodbye, goodbye, Vivenna. She uh, stayed behind with the honor spread to try and buy time for Kaladin and the rest of the crew to get to Thalen City and use the Oath Gate on this side. And when they got there, there was an entire army of Void Spren or fused, uh, entire army of bad things there. I wonder what they could be waiting for. Uh, this week, we start with the next set of interludes, which uh, are the POVs are Venli. Risen and Teft. Oh yeah, Risen. Yes. How's she doing in that wheelchair of hers? We're gonna check in with her in a few minutes. Uh yes. I'm surprised I remembered that. Yeah, I, I'm very happy that you did. Uh but yes, Venley, Risen, and Teft. So we start interlude 12, Rhythm of Withdrawal. It has Venley symbol, and uh pretty much Venley has been living at a cave for a week in Marat which is where the Fused uh, and the Singer forces are gathering. The Fused had forced her to live as a dirty hermit in the wild, as that seemed to work better for the Singers in this area. They seemed to trust her more uh, from in that kind of position, like she's an oracle or something. She gives a speech to a group of gathered Singers, urging them to channel their passions as they sail to battle in Thalen City. And after she's finished, one of the insane Fused grabs her and flies her to one of the boats in a nearby harbor. Her commander, Ryan, is there, and he tells her that she is coming with them to Thalen City. He says that the, Ever- that the Everstorm is coming soon, and that they're going to sail beneath it and use it as a guide. And he also explains that the Singers are needed because there aren't enough fused awake yet to fight on their own. And he also says that the Singers need to prepare themselves to rule, so that when the war is over, the fused can hand the world to them and finally rest. And that is the end of the chapter. Interlude 13 is Risen. It just has kind of the general symbol. And it begins, Risen was bored. She has finished her apprenticeship with Vistim, who is her mentor, and now keeps Queen Fen's ledgers in the Thalen Gemstone Reserve. Which, I don't know if you remember, but that was brought up last time. Oh, she's here. She's here. Oh, she's here. Oh. Oh, boy. The book reads, Career over, freedom over, life over. The only memento kept in her office was the Same. was the single pot of shin grass that she got in the way of kings, and, well that and the little creature that slept in the grass, cheery cheery, the larkin that she was gifted during her interlude in Words of Radiance. Cheery cheery was a small winged beast, a little longer than Risen's palm, a lithe little flying predator. Cheery cheery climbs down from the pot of grass over to one of Risen's gemstones before being shooed away. Her assistant knocks on the door, telling her that the auditor is early, and then Vistum walks in, surprising Risen. He tells her that he's accepted a position in the Thalen government as Minister of Trade. He offers Cheery Cheery a gemstone, which the Larkin sucked all the stormlight out of. Risen says that Renarin had tried to heal her legs, but that it had been too long since her accident. Vistum presents her with a present, knowing that she hated being cooped up in an office, which is her own ship. Wait. 
That means that it wasn't actually Renarin that couldn't heal her. It's that she didn't think that she No, could so Renarin can't if she better. if she became a radiant, uh Truth Watcher healing isn't as strong as like radiant healing yourself. A Truth Watcher has limitations on what they can heal in other people. It, it's it, but if she became a radiant herself and used stormlight healing on herself and she be, and she considered herself to be somebody that like can still walk that it, that isn't uh um in a wheelchair then her she, ideal version of yeah. herself is being able to walk if if that was the case then then she could um oh so it's okay i was thinking that it worked yeah it's not a one to one uh uh edge dancer and truth watcher healings both are a little bit weaker than uh normal radiant healing uh, they have kind of a time, a time, uh, a time on them, a timeline on them where they, where they stop. They don't work as well on older uh, wounds or things that you're born with. I think they also said uh, is another uh, problem that, uh, that Truth Watcher and uh, Edge Dancer healing has. Well, so that other lady was a Truth Watcher. So that means that if someone's, hold on, was that kid from uh, Edge Dancer? Was he? He had been hit recently. Oh, he had been hit. That's why. That, okay. Yes, yes. He had not been born with that. He had, um, there had been an accident recently before. Yes, yeah, so Vistum tells her that he has bought her her own ship, a brand new frigate named Wandersail, and says that he will fund her initial trade run. And then he tells her that he's actually the auditor that she's waiting to meet with, as he had not wanted to go to the meeting of the monarchs, and so they get started. They go over to the Sphere Vault, which requires three separate people with separate numbers to open. A shard blade could still cut through it, of course, but it was an important symbol of the city. They open the vault, and she's pushed around in a sort of wheelchair with wheels on the back legs. So they kind of, like, tilt her back and push her forward. They haven't invented good wheelchairs yet. Yeah. And then uh, when they go into the smaller vault, she's moved into a smaller chair with poles that they can lift as they enter the vault because it's a little little uh, easier to maneuver. And she notices that somehow Cheery Cheery had made her way into the vault as well. The vault was filled with dun spheres. They move to the back of the vault where there are smaller vaults and open one that is filled with lit gemstones. But the most stunning item in the collection was obviously the large ruby on the center shelf. It was the size of a child's head and it glowed brightly. The king's drop. Gemstones of its size weren't unheard of. Most great shells had gem hearts as big. What made the king's drop unique was that it was still glowing, over 200 years after being first locked into the vault. As far as scholars can tell, Risen said, the king's drop never loses its stormlight. A stone this large should have run out after a month. It's something about the crystal lattice, the lack of flaws and imperfections. They're about to start counting the gemstones when the queen's guard that was with them kills one of the gemstone reserve guards. He knocks over Risen's chair and then attacks Vistum, forcing him into one of the vaults and then sealing the door. The traitor manages to grab the king's drop ruby and turns to fight a group of other guards. Risen gets the king's drop from the thief as they seem to heal from a wound, and then she begins to crawl away trying to get away from the fighting with the gemstone. As the thief kills the last of the guards, she reaches the exit which was locked and starts shouting for help as she puts her back against the wall and grabs a crossbow to point in the direction of the thief. Unfortunately, you need to use your feet to arm a crossbow, so the weapon was useless for her. You need to put your foot down on it and pull back. And then, a figure emerged from the darkness. Risen lowered the crossbow. She was alone. Helpless. Live or die. Did she care? 
Yes, yes, I care. I want to sail my own ship. A sudden blur darted out of the darkness and flew around the thief. Cheery Cheery moved with blinding speed, hovering about the man, drawing his attention. Risen begins to use a piece of rope to arm the crossbow. She, like, ties it to a chair and watches as Cheery Cheery sucks away void light from the thief, disrupting a light weaving and revealing a singer beneath. The thief lunges for her, and she, like, knocks over the chair, and the force of it pulls back on the crossbow to arm the crossbow, and then she fires it right into his chin. Without void light, the singer dropped to the ground. The larkin buzzed over and landed on her stomach, clicking happily. Thank you, Risen whispered. Thank you, thank you. She hesitated. Are you... bigger? Cheery Cheery clicked happily. She needed to get Vistim and figure out why the enemy was trying to steal the king's drop. She begins to pull herself back towards where her mentor had been left, and that is where the chapter ends. I do want to remind you really quickly that when everybody arrived at Thalen City last episode, Renarin, being weird and cryptic as always, kept asking about if there were any very large gemstones in the city. Huh. Interlude 14 is Teft, and it has the Bridge 4 symbol. Most of what I'm going to read here is just directly from the book. Teft could function. He stumbled sometimes. He knew deep down that he'd end up alone again. The men of Bridge 4 would tire of digging him out of trouble. But for now, Teft functioned. He nodded to Malata, who was working the Oath Gate. A winding path through corridors and a stairwell led them back toward their barracks. As they walked, a woman appeared in the hallway beside Teft, roughly his height, glowing with, with soft blue-white light. You have words to speak, Teft, she said in his mind. Storm you. You have started on this path. When will you tell the others the oaths you have sworn? I didn't. She turned away from him suddenly, becoming alert, looking down the corridor toward the Bridge 4 barracks. What? Teft, Teft stopped. Something wrong? Something is very wrong. Run, quickly, Teft! He scrambled to the door into their barracks and threw it open. The scent of blood immediately assaulted him. The Bridge 4 common room was in shambles and blood stained the floor. He fell to his knees beside Rock, Bizig, and Eth. Still breathing, Teft thought, feeling at Rock's neck. Check the others, he shouted. Bissig's alive, Pete called, though Storms, that's a shard blade wound. Eth, Lopin said. Storms. Teft hesitated. Eth had been the one carrying the honor blade today. Dead. They came for the blade, he realized. Huio took over, ministering to Rock, blood on his hands, Teft stumbled back. We need Renarin, Pete said. It's Rock's best chance. Where did he go? Lin said. He was at the meeting, but left. She looked toward Lauren, one of the other former messengers. Run for the guard post. They should have a span read to contact the oath gate. Lauren dashed out of the room. Nearby, Bissig groaned. His eyes fluttered open. Bissig, Pete asked. Storms, what happened? Thought, thought it was one of us, Bissig muttered. I didn't really look until he attacked. He had on a bridgman coat. Stormfather, Leighton said. Did you see the face? Bissig nodded. Nobody I recognize. A short man, a lethe, ridge forecoat, lieutenant's knots on the shoulder. Lopin frowned and then glanced toward Teft. A bridge four officer's coat, worn as a disguise. Teft's coat, which he'd sold weeks ago in the market, to get a few spheres. He stumbled back, then fled through a falling patch of shame spread into the hallway outside. And that is where the chapter ends. Oof. Yeah. And now, we start part five, New Unity which I already read the POVs for you last time, but I will remind you. They are 
The Knights Radiant, Ash, Navani, Adolin, Taravangian, Yanagon, Polona, Vyre, and Wit. Chapter 114 is titled The Cost, and it has Dalinar's flashback symbol. It is Dalinar's last flashback, and it is five and a half years ago. Dalinar wakes up in a wagon on his way to the Night Watcher, having just had his first vision. He thinks it was from the drinking, but is disturbed by it. His scout, Felt, who Dalinar notes doesn't look like any single Rosharan race, tells him that it's time to leave. They ride for a while before Felt tells him that they're almost there. He tells Dalinar that he hadn't been able to see the Night Watcher before, saying that she doesn't like foreigners. He says that Dalinar should be fine, though, because he isn't quite as foreign as Felt is. And if you can't get it, Felt is not from Roshar. <laughs> Dalinar had spent most of the trip drunk, attempting to dull the pain for a little while longer before meeting the Night Watcher. Finally, they arrive at a, at a valley. Plant life had exploded inside. Vines, ferns, flowers, and grasses grew together in a wall of underbrush. Trees stretched above them. They were overgrown with draping moss and vines. It all piled atop itself, reeds and branches sticking out in all directions, ferns so overgrown with vines that they drooped beneath the weight. How does one enter? Dalinar asked. How do you pass through that? There are some trails, Felt said. If you look hard enough, shall we camp here, sir? You can scout out a path tomorrow and make your final decision. They camp and wait until the sun sets before Dalinar starts inward. The plant life seems to pull away from him, opening a pathway. He heard a boy weeping, pleading for his life. It sounded like Adolin. Other screams and pleas joined that one, people burning as they died. In a moment of panic, he turned to run back the way he'd come. He immediately tripped. People screamed and howled all around. Frantic, he summoned Oathbringer and stumbled to his feet, then began slashing. Suddenly, he saw himself in the unclaimed hills, fighting those traitorous parchmen. He saw himself killing and hacking and murdering. He saw his lust, eyes wide and teeth clenched in a dreadful grin. He saw himself strangling Elakar, who had never possessed his father's poise or charm. Dalinar took the throne. It should have been his anyway. His armies poured into Herdaz, then Yaakoved. He became a king of kings, a mighty conqueror whose accomplishments far overshadowed those of his brother. Dalinar forged a unified Voran Empire that covered half of Roshar, and he saw them burn. Hundreds of villages, thousands upon thousands of people. It was the only way. If a town resisted, you burned it to the ground. You slaughtered any who fought back. You sent terror before you like a storm until your enemy surrendered. The rift would be the first in a long line of examples. He saw himself standing upon the heaped corpses, laughing. This was his future. Dalinar dropped to his knees in the dark forest and allowed the voices to swarm around him. He heard Evie among them, crying as she burned to death. Alone. He let Oathbringer slip from his fingers and shatter to mist. The crying faded until it was distant. Son of honor, a new sound whispered on the winds. He opened his eyes to find himself in a tiny clearing bathed in starlight. A shadow moved in the darkness beyond the trees. Hello, human. You smell of desperation. The elongated figure moved among the trees, stalking him like a predator. They... they say you can change a man. The Night Watcher seeped from the darkness. She was a dark green mist, vaguely shaped like a crawling person. Two long arms reached out, pulling her along as she floated above the ground. Her essence, like a tail, extended far behind her, weaving among tree trunks and disappearing into the forest. She glided toward him until her nose was, mere, was 
Her nose was mere inches from his own, her silken black eyes meeting his. Tiny hands sprouted from the misty sides of her head. They reached out, taking his face and touching it with a thousand cold yet gentle caresses. What is it you wish of me? What boon drives you, son of honor, son of odium? She started to circle him. The tiny black hands kept touching his face, but their arms stretched out, becoming tentacles. What would you like? Renown? Wealth? Skill? Would you like to be able to swing a sword and never tire? No. Beauty? Follow followers? I can feed your dreams, make you glorious. Her dark mists wrapped around him. What is your boon? Dalinar blinked tears, listening to the sounds of the children dying in the distance, and whispered a single word. Forgiveness. She leaned back, pursing her lips. Perhaps it is possessions you wish. Spheres, gemstones, shards, a blade that bleeds darkness and cannot be defeated. I can give it to you. Please, tell me. Can I... can I ever be forgiven? It wasn't what he'd intended to request. He couldn't remember what he'd intended to request. The Night Watcher curled around him, agitated. Forgiveness is no boon. What should I do to you? What should I give you? Speak it, human. I... That is enough, child. And this new voice is in all caps, like Odium is in all caps. When he speaks. This new voice startled them both. The Night Watcher backed away in a sharp motion. Delinar turned and found a woman with brown skin standing at the edge of the clearing. She wore a sweeping brown dress. Mother, mother, he came to me. I was going to bless him. Thank you, child. But this boon is beyond you. She focused on Dalinar. You may attend me, Dalinar Kulin. Dalinar stood up. Who are you? Someone beyond your authority to question. She strode into the forest and Dalinar j joined her. The Night Watcher curled along beside them. You must forgive my daughter, the woman said. This is the first time in centuries I've come personally to speak with one of you. Then this isn't how it happens every time? Of course not. I let her hold court here. The woman brushed her fingers through the Night Watcher's misty hair. It helps her understand you. Dalinar frowned. What? Why did you choose to come out now? Because of the attention others pay you. And what did I tell you of demanding questions? Dalinar shut his mouth. Why have you come here, human? Do you not serve honor, the one you call Almighty? Look unto him for forgiveness. I asked the Ardents. I didn't get what I wanted. You got what you deserved. The truth you have crafted for yourselves. I am doomed, then. He could still hear those voices. They weep, mother. She looked back at him. I hear them when I close my eyes, all around me, begging me to save them. They're driving me mad. She contemplated him. This woman, she was more than he could see. Vines from her dress curled into the earth, permeating everything. In that moment, he knew that he was not seeing her, but instead a fragment with which she, he could interact. This woman extended into eternity. This will, be your do your, this will be your boon. I will not make of you the man you can become. I will not give you the aptitude or the strength, nor will I take from you your compulsions. But I will give you a pruning. A careful excision to let you grow. The cost will be high. Please, anything. She stepped back to him. In doing this, I provide for him a weapon. Dangerous, very dangerous. Yet all things must be cultivated. What I take from you will grow back eventually. This is part of the cost. It will do me well to have a part of you even if you ultimately become his. You were always bound to come to me. 
I control all things that can be grown, nurtured. That includes the thorns. She seized him. A boon and a a curse, the mother said. That is how it is done. I will take these things from your mind, and with them, I take her. I... Wait. Speak. You'll take... You'll take every from me? All memories of her. This is the cost. Should I forbear? Dalinar squeezed his eyes shut. He had never deserved her. Do it. The vines and branches surged forward and began to rip away pieces of him from the inside. And then we cut away, and we come back with Dalinar crawling from the forest the next morning. Dalinar shook his head, memory fuzzy. Had he really asked for forgiveness? He couldn't fathom why. Had he felt that bad for failing... He stretched for the word. For failing... His wife. Had he felt so bad for failing her by letting assassins claim her life? He searched his mind and found that he couldn't recall what she looked like. No image of her face, no memories of their time together. Nothing. He did remember these last few years as a drunkard, the years before spent in conquest. In fact, everything about his past seemed clear except her. Well, Felt said, I assume it... happened? Yes. Anything we need to know about, he asked. I once heard of a man who visited here, and from then on, every person he touched fell upward instead of down. You needn't worry. My curse is for me alone. How strange to be able to remember scenes where she had been, but not remember... her name. What was my wife's name? Shushushushush, Felt asked. Dalinar started. She'd been taken completely? Had that... that been the cost? Yes. Grief had caused him to suffer these last years. He'd suffered a breakdown at losing the woman he'd loved. Well, he assumed that he'd loved her. Curious. Nothing. It seemed that the Night Watcher had taken memories of his wife and in so doing, given him the boon of peace. However, he did still feel sorrow and guilt for failing Gavilar, so he wasn't completely healed. He still wanted a bottle to numb the grief of losing his brother. He would break that habit. It wouldn't be easy, but he could manage it. Dalinar relaxed, but felt like something else was missing inside of him. Something he couldn't identify. I need to be in communication with the king. Tell our men at the docks to contact the armies. By the time I arrive, I want to have battle maps and plans for the Parshendi conquest. He'd moped long enough. He had not always been the best of brothers or the best of light eyes. He'd failed to follow the codes and that had cost Gavilar his life. Never again. He straightened his uniform. Tell the sailors that while they're in port, they're to find me in a lethy copy of a book called The Way of Kings. I'd like to hear it read to me again. Last time I wasn't in my right mind. And that is the end of the last Dalinar flashback. So, Dalinar was not blessed by the Night Watcher. He was blessed by Cultivation. Cultivation herself came and gave him his boon and curse. Which were both the same thing. The boon was to erase his grief and his pain of, of what he'd done. And in so doing, she took all of his memories of Evie. Like, she could have just erased the important stuff around Rathalus, but she took absolutely everything from him that even, you know, even the name. But yes. But she also said this will not be permanent. Yes, it's going to come back. And she said that by doing this, she created a weapon for him, but that it was a, a risk worth taking. A weapon for Odium, but it was a risk worth taking. Uh, I will also clarify now, this is something that I kind of, I kind of tried to point you towards an edge dancer, but I didn't want to outright say it until we got to this scene. Uh, Lyft also visited Cultivation, not the Night Watcher. And that's why it wasn't permanent. 
Cultivation, when she makes uh, boons and curses, is less about changing somebody's life and more about some plan that she has that it, you know, requires a change later on, it seems. It's like, I'll help you for now so you can grow as a person. Yes, cult- she will but cultivate But later on, you. it you're gonna become normal again mm-hmm. and... That's important that you become normal again. And Dalinar saw his future in there if he had not gone through this process. He would have become the the worst kind of person. Um, yep. So this this was definitely a, a good move for him. But yes, uh, Wendell talks about her with a capital H uh, in Edge Dancer. Having given the boon and curse, he's he's talking about cultivation, not not the Night Watcher. So he knows it's not the voice or not the Night Watcher, yes. but she doesn't. I think that in both cases, she took the memory of her involvement from them. Because Dalinar did not remember getting a boon from Cultivation. He remembered getting one from the Night Watcher. Is Lyft also going to remember, oh, it was Cultivation, not the Night Watcher? I am un- I'm unsure. That is a long-term question. But even Odium and the Stormfather both recently have said that Dalinar met Cultivation once. She just took that memory from him. Yeah. Chapter 115 is titled The Wrong Passion, and this one just has the general POV symbol. The epigraph reads, They came from another world using powers that we have been forbidden to touch, dangerous powers of spren and surges. They destroyed their lands and have come to us begging from the Isla Stell. So we're repeating some of these from last time. So they brought spren with them? That implies that they brought spren with them. The Voidbringers see the powers as coming from the Spren, so they, they connect Spren and Surge, the Voidbringers, the Singers, connect Spren and Surges in their mind. It's not necessary, as we know from the Honor Blades, for you to get so, Surges through Spren. That's from a point of view that they say that. Okay, so my question is, how did humans originally get the Surges, then? Uh, uh, I don't have an because answer for you. If they had them on their old planet and then they brought them here, but suddenly you can only get the surges if you either have an honor blade or a bond with a spren with honor, which implies that it's because of honor that he's giving people the ability to have the surges with the swords or with the spren. Then where did they get them on their old planet? Because they didn't have honor. Do not forget that the fused control surges. They fly. They do now. But they get them through odium. So presumably, like, I, this is me theorizing, because at this point, we're on the same level of information, pretty much, about, like, like stuff about what happened before the humans got to Roshar is, I assume, back half stuff. Like, it, it is relevant right now as a moral dilemma, but beyond that, it's like, we have more important shit to deal with than, like, getting into the nitty-gritty of all this information. I think that's more stuff we're going to learn in the back half of the series. I would assume that Odium gave them surges in the same way he gives the surges to... Uh, the to the Voidbringer or to the to the fused. So it was originally Odium, and not originally Honor. And Honor's just like, hey, uh, I'm giving you your powers back so you can fight the Voidbringers. Honor, yeah, Honor gave them their powers back later on, but presumably, like surges exist. Like the 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 basic aspects of existence exist like separate of the shards. The shards just give the people a way to manipulate them. Odium, cultivation, uh, um, honor, any of them could give you power over the surges. It's just the way that you get that power is different depending on 
which shard you're you're linked to. So that more implies that the surges come directly from the one and not from the actual shards, but the shards are able to act as like an instrument of like the way that like in Harry Potter, like wizards have magic. Uh-huh. The wands just help what's the word? Focus like them? direct it. A channel? There's another word channel. Yes. Yeah. So the the shards are basically channeling these abilities for these people to be able to have, but they're just abilities that people could have. Uh shards give people the I don't know that somebody could get the abilities independent of a shard's intervention because all magic like all magic come oh, from the shards. True. But the idea is that the surges are just fundamental to physics. So like it's not so much that like like it, it, it's the the surges aren't the magic. It's the manipulation of the surges that's the magic. Like gravity is just a fundamental force. What the magic is is the ability to manipulate it. So you do have to get it from a shard, I guess, but you could probably get it from any shard. Yeah, whether directly or indirectly from from a yeah. shard. Yeah. Either from the shard directly or from a spren, which is a piece a of piece. a shard yes. of the one. Yeah. <laughs> it, well, well, you'll get an explanation eventually about what happened and, and why the shards exist and all that. Uh, not in Stormlight. <laughs> it's why we're no. doing Mistborn. Uh, we start in Dalinar's POV. Dalinar stood in his villa in Thalen City. The Everstorm's clouds flowed in from the west, and beneath the storm, ships dotted the waves. Ships, he whispered. They sailed during the storm? He controls it, the Stormfather said. He uses it, as honor once used me. Dalinar's fledgling armada had fled to take shelter from the storm, and the enemy had sailed in uncontested. The coalition had shattered away anyway. They wouldn't defend this city. The storm slowed as it darkened the bay in front of Thalen City, then seemed to stop. Enemy ships landed in its shadow. Amaram's troops flooded out of the gates to seize the ground between bay and city. Behind them, Thalen troops mounted the wall. Dalinar could faintly hear a general call on the street below, shouting for runners and scribes to send word to Yurithiru, calling up the Alethi reinforcements. And then there were the fused, dozens of which launched into the skies from the ships. It came together with a frightening beauty, their armada fleeing the storm, their armies unprepared, the sudden evaporation of support. He's planned for everything. It is what he does. You know, cultivation warned me that my memories would return. She said she was pruning me. Do you know why she did that? Did I have to remember? I do not know. Is it relevant? That depends upon the answer to a question. What is the most important step that a man can take? He straightened his blue uniform, then slipped a tome off the table. With the Way of Kings in his hand, he stepped out the door and into the city. And we cut to Shallan's point of view. All this way, Shallan whispered. And they're already here? Kaladin and Adolin stood to either side of her. She could see the Oathgate. Hundreds upon hundreds of strange spren stood in the lake of beads that marked the shore of Thalen City. On the shore, a large dark mass of living red light surged across the ground. It was something more terrible than all of these, something that made her eyes hurt to look upon. And as if that weren't enough, a half-dozen fused landed on the bridge that led to the Oathgate platform. They knew, Adolin said. They led us here with that cursed vision. Be wary, Shallan whispered, of anyone who claims to be able to see the future. No, no, that wasn't from him, 
Kaladin looked between them, frantic. It was like when the Stormfather... I mean... Azor warned us from this path, Adolin said. And what else could we have done? We couldn't go to the Horn Eater Peaks like Azor wanted. The enemy waits there too. Everyone says their ships patrol there. Kaladin shook his head. This was our only option. We don't have enough food to return, Adolin said. Even if we did, Syl whispered, where would we go? They hold Celebrant. They're, ho they're watching this Oathgaden, so they're probably watching the others. Shallan sank down on the ground. Pattern put his hand on her shoulder, humming softly with concern. Kaladin is right, Syl said. We can't back down now. Our remaining gemstones won't last much longer. We have to try, Kaladin said. Try what, Cal? Adolin said. Take on an army of Voidbringers by ourselves? I don't know how the portal works, Shallan added. I don't even know how much stormlight it might require. We'll... We'll try something, Kaladin said. We have stormlight still. An illusion? A distraction? We could get you to the Oathgate and you could... Find out how to free us. He shook his head. We can make it work. We have to. Shallan bowed her head, listening to Pattern hum. And then we cut to Yasna's POV. I mean, they do have to. They don't have a choice. Yasna stepped out of the way of a troop of soldiers running for the Oathgate. Unfortunately, they would soon have to acknowledge what she already knew. Thalen City was lost. Their adversary had played this hand too well. At the very least, she hoped that Amaram's band of malcontents would soak up arrows and spears long enough to let the Thalen City's or civilians evacuate. She had to focus on what she could do, not what she had failed to do. First, she had to see that her uncle didn't get himself killed fighting a useless battle. Second, she needed to help evacuate Thalen City. But these goals would wait a short time as she dealt with the matter even more pressing. The facts align, Ivory said. The truth that has always been will now soon manifest to all. You are correct. A traitor is. Yasna undid the buttons on her safe hand and pinned it back, exposing the gloved hand underneath. In preparation, she'd also worn a scout's hava, with shorter skirts slit at the sides and front, trousers underneath, sturdy boots. She strode up the steps to the doorway of the Temple of Pila Ilin, True to the information she'd been given, she found Renarin Kolin kneeling on the floor inside, head bowed, alone. A spren rose from his back, bright red, shimmering like the heat of a mirage, a crystalline, a crystalline structure like a snowflake, though it dripped light upward toward the ceiling. In her pouch, she carried a sketch of the proper spren of the Truth Watchers. And this was something different. Yasna put her hand to the side, then summoned Ivory as a shard blade. We cut away from her point of view. Be wary of anybody that claims to see the future, Mango. Anybody. For it's of him. When did he claim to see the future? Oh, uh, when he saw visions of the Everstorm. Oh. And when he saw visions of things... Uh, he mentioned something earlier as well that he saw. I think something in the, I think he said he saw visions of the Unmade in the Tower. And that's why uh, Yasna has been fucking keeping him on a short leash this whole time. And has been talking about the Truth Watcher spren so much. And getting pictures of them. Uh, throughout the whole book. Because whatever spren that uh, Renarin is bonded to is not the proper Truth Watcher spren. Uh-oh. We cut to Venli's point of view. No wonder he was kind of going crazy and giving prophecies and like, the storm is coming. Well then what is the Truth Watcher supposed to be able to do if not see the future? They do not see the future. Uh, that is not something that we have seen from uh, the the. Um, They're not the a stump. truth watcher. They they still do have like I, I think truth watcher is more of like the type of person that gets it. Like 
there are more people that are interested in facts and like and science and like in, and information and learning things. Um, but normally what they're supposed to be able to do is heal and use um, like illusion magic. And Renarin has pointed out that he cannot make his illusion magic work like uh, Shallan says it's supposed to. I don't remember him supposed to being able to use illusion magic. He's supposed to be able to use uh, to manipulate light like Shallan can. That's his other surge, and he's mentioned that he do- he can't seem to get it work like to work like she does. Venley hopped down from one of the boats to the ground before Thalen City. Hundreds of singers streamed around her. Hulking fused walk- walked among them, bearing carapace armor as impressive as any shard plate. Some of the ordinary singers wore war form. Azish, Thalen, Marathi, a host of nationalities. These newly awakened singers were frightened, uncertain. Would they force her to march to the front line? She'd be cut to ribbons. Like my people on the field of Narak, who was sacrificed to birth the Everstorm. Odium seemed very quick to expend the lives of both listener and singer. Timber pulsed to peace in her pouch. Hush, she whispered. Hush, do you want one of them to hear you? Timber reluctantly softened her pulsings. One of the hulking fused called for her. You, listener woman, come. She stepped up and kept her head high. And the fused handed her a sword in a sheath. She took it. I've used an axe before, but not... Carry it. You may need to defend yourself. She belted the sword. Now, tell me what this little one is saying. Benley followed him to a gathering of singers holding spears. I'm an interpreter, she thought. That's why they wanted me on the battlefield. And then she goes around the battlefield, pretty much going to all the uh, singers that are like, hey, we don't really want to kill them. Like, some of them were kind of nice to us. Uh, especially the Thalen um, the Thalen singers are more reluctant than the Alethi were because the Alethi singers were treated worse. Uh, yeah. But uh, she goes around being told to like, hey, fuck up. These guys took your planet. You've been slaves. It's time to, you know, time to, to, to show them who's boss. And they go around and Venli is watching the battlefield like, this is going to be a slaughter. These people are going to get absolutely wrecked. Like, these singers are not going to survive. She suddenly felt something odd, like a rhythm, but oppressive, demanding. It shook the very air and the ground beneath her feet, and the ground beneath her feet trembled. Lightning in the clouds behind seemed to flash to this rhythm, and in a moment she saw that the area around her was filled with ghostly spren. Those are the spirits of the dead, she realized, fused who haven't yet chosen a body. Most were twisted to the point that she barely recognized them as singers. Two were roughly the size of buildings. One dominated even these, a creature of swirling violence, tall as a small hill, seemingly made up entirely of red smoke. She could see into the other world. That happened sometimes right before... A blistering heat shone behind her. Benley braced herself. Light crystallized beside her, forming an ancient parchment with a face marbled gold and white, and a regal scepter he carried like a cane. Benley released a relieved breath. This was more an impression than his true being. Still, power streamed from him like the tendrils of a vine bud waving in the wind, vanishing into infinity. Odium had come to personally supervise this battle. And we cut to Tef's point of view. Oh, so Odium is showing himself as... A parchment uh, to the parchment, to the, to the singers. Mm-hmm. Yes. And he shows himself as a human to the humans. And he's neither. He's probably a freaking dragon. <laughs> uh, Odium is not a dragon. Cultivation is a dragon. Cultivation is a dragon? Cultivation is, is a dragon. dragon. Uh, Frost is a dragon. Uh, the guy that uh, Hoyd wrote to in the first book and who wrote back to Hoyd in the second book. Oh. That's the, he's a okay. dragon. Okay. What is Odium then? 
Um, I believe Odium was human, but I don't know if they've ever specified. Teft hid. He couldn't face the others. Not after... after what he'd done. Rock and Bissig bleeding, Eth dead, the room destroyed, the honor bla blade stolen. Teft scrambled through the hallways, looking for a place where nobody could see him. He'd done it again to yet another group that trusted him, just like with his squad and Sadius' army whom he'd abandoned for his addiction. And now... and now Bridge 4. He tripped and fell. Would that he could find some place hidden and squeeze inside, never ever to be found again. When he looked up, she was standing there. The woman made of light and air, with curls of hair that vanished into mist. Why are you following me? Go pick one of the others. Kalek, pick anyone but me. He rose and pushed past her. Light from ahead showed that he'd accidentally made his way to the outer ring of the tower. He stopped by a stone doorway. Teft. You don't want me. I'm broken. Pick Lopin. Rock. Sigzel. Damnation woman. I... What was that? Drawn by faint sounds, Teft walked into the empty room. Those sounds. Shouts? He walked out onto the balcony. Below, figures with marbled skin flooded across one of the Oathgate platforms, the one that led to Kolinar, that was supposed to be locked, unusable. Scouts and soldiers began to shout in panic down below. Yurathiru was under attack. And that is the end of Teft's point of view. Fun. I wonder who opened the Oathgate. Navani's, we got, we got to Navani's point of view. Navani scrambled up the last few steps onto the wall of Thalen City. Navani strode along the wall walk toward Fen. Sadius's men were still streaming through the gates, but already blocks of archers moved forward. They'd soon start pelting the Parchment army. The enemy only keeps coming, Fen said. I'll soon get to judge your famed Alethi troops firsthand, as they fight an impossible battle. Actually, Navani said, we're better off than it looks. The new Sadius is a renowned tactician. His soldiers are well-rested and, if lacking in discipline, known for their tenacity. We can attack the enemy before it finishes deploying. Then, if they rebound and overwhelm us with numbers, we can pull back into the city until we get reinforcements. Kamakul, Fen's consort, nodded. This is winnable, Fen. We might even be able to capture some of our ships back. The ground shook. Out in the field, between the enemy troops and the Alethi ones, the ground shattered. Lines and cracks split the stone, and then an enormous stone arm pulled itself from the ground. A monster oh, easily 30 no. feet tall pulled itself from the stone. Like a skeleton made of rock, it had a wedge-shaped head with a deep, molten red eyes. And we cut back to Venley's point of view. I forgot what those are called. Thunderclasts. Thunderclasts. Speaking of which, Venley got to watch the Thunderclasts awaken. Among the waiting spirits were two larger masses of energy, souls so warped, so mangled, they didn't seem singer at all. One crawled into the stone ground, somehow inhabiting it like a spren taking residence in a gem heart. The stone became its form. Then it ripped itself free of the rock. Around her, the parchment stumbled back in awe. The thing loomed over her, the human forces, while its companion climbed into the stone ground but didn't rip out immediately. There was one other, mightier than even these. It was out in the water of the bay. If those two lesser souls had created such daunting stone monsters, then what was that mountain of power? In the physical realm, the fused knelt and bowed their heads toward Odium. Venley knelt quickly. Timber pulsed to anxiety. Quiet. We can't fight him. Tarash, Odium said. Old friend, you look well in this new body. Thank you, master, Tarash said. Your mind holds firm, Tarash. I am proud of you. Odium waved toward Thalen City. I have prepared a grand army for our victory today. What do you think of our prize? An excellent position of great import even without the Oathgate but I fear for our army's master. Oh? They are weak, untrained, and frightened. Many may refuse to fight. 
They don't crave vengeance, master. Even with the Thunderclass, we may be outmatched. These? Odium asked, looking over his shoulder at the gathered singers. Oh, Tarash, you think too small, my friend. These are not my army. I brought them here to watch. Watch what? Finley asked, looking up. Odium held his hands to the side, yellow-gold power streaming behind his figure. Beyond him, in the other place, that red churning power became more real. It was pulled into this place completely, and the ocean boiled. Something came surging out. Red mist. Charging red horses, angry and galloping. The forms of men killing and dying, shedding blood and reveling in it. Bones piled atop one another, making a hill upon which men struggled. The red mist climbed up from the surging waves. It brought to her a lust for the battlefield. A beautiful focus. A thrill for the fight. And we cut to Kaladin's point of view. The largest of the spren, the roiling mass of red light, vanished from Shadesmar. Kaladin, Kaladin gasped, feeling that power vacate this place and go to the other? Something's happening, he said to Adolin and Shallan. We might have an opening. They joined him and watched as the strange army of Spren began to vanish too, winking out in waves. The Oathgate? Shallan asked. Maybe they're using it. In moments, only the six fews remained, guarding the bridge. Six, Kaladin thought. Can I defeat six? Did he need to? I can challenge them as a distraction, he said to the others. Maybe we can use some illusions as well. We can draw them off while Shallan sneaks over and figures out how to work the Oathgate. I suppose we don't have any other cha choice, Adolin said. But what, Kaladin said. Aren't you worried about where that army went? And we cut back to Venli's point of view. Passion, Odium said. There is great passion here. Venli felt cold. I've prepared these men for decades. Men who want nothing so much as something to break. To gain vengeance against the one who killed their high prince. Let the singers watch and learn. I've prepared a different army to fight for us today. Ahead of them, on the battlefield, the human ranks slumped. A man in glittering shardplate led them. Deep within his helm, something started glowing red. The dark spren flew toward the men, finding welcoming bodies and willing flesh. The red mist made them lust, made their minds open, and the spren then bonded to the men, slipping into those open souls. Master, you have learned to inhabit humans, Tarash said. Spren have always been able to bond with them, Tarash, Odium said. It merely requires the right mindset and the right environment. Ten thousand Alethi in green uniforms gripped their weapons, their eyes glowing a deep, dangerous red. Go, Odium whispered. Colin would have sacrificed you. Manifest your anger. Kill the Blackthorn who murdered your High Prince. Set your passion free. Give me your pain and seize this city in my name. The army turned, and led by a shardbearer in gleaming plate, attacked Thalen City. Who's the Shardbearer in Gleaming Plate? Amaram. Oh, what? Amaram's army just turned sides. Uh, see, this is why I don't like it. <laughs> Chapter 116 is titled Alone, and it has the general symbol again, and the epigraph reads, We took them in as commanded by our gods. What else could we do? They were a people forlorn without a home. Our pity destroyed us, for their betrayal extended even to our gods, to spren, stone, and wind. We start in Kaladin's point of view. Kaladin had come far in the last half year. He seemed a man distant from the one who carried bridges against Parshendi arrows. That man had welcomed death. But now, even on the bad days when everything was cast in greys, he defied death. He could not have him. For while life was painful, life was also sweet. He had Sill, he had the men at Bridge Four, and most importantly, he had purpose. 
Today, Kaladin would protect Dalinar Kulin. He strode toward the Sea of Souls that marked the existence of Thalen City on the other side. He stepped up onto the bridge and reached the highest point before the enemy noticed him. Six fused turned and rose into the air. They raised long spears, seeming shocked. One man? Alone? Kaladin set one foot back and fell into a combat, combat posture. Then he drew in all of his stormlight and burst alight. Within the power's embrace, a lifetime's worth of moments seemed to snap into place, throwing gas to the ground in the rain, screaming in defiance while charging at the front of a bridge, coming awake in the practice grounds during the weeping, fighting the assassin on the storm wall. The fuse leaped for him. Kaladin lashed himself straight upward and took to the sky for the first time in what had been far, far too long. And then we cut away from him to Dalinar's point of view. Dalinar stumbles as the second thunderclass rips itself from the ground. He was getting closer to the walls and tried to help point the fleeing civilians in the direction of the Oath Gate. He falters as he feels the thrill slam into him. No, he whispered, sagging against a wall. No. It whispered that he could save this city all on his own. Let the thrill in and the Blackthorn could return. He didn't need shards. He only needed his passion, sweeter than any wine. No. He shoved the thrill aside, scrambling to his feet. One of the Thunderclass slams its hands into the city wall, smashing a hole in it and sending debris right at Dalinar, crushing him. Blackness. Falling. Power. He gasped and stormlight flooded into him. He shook awake to find his arm pinned by the boulder. He coughed, realizing some of those lumps were bodies. The Thunderclass steps through the hole in the wall, entering the ancient ward, and almost steps on Dalinar, who manages to free his arm and heal it with stormlight. He watches as the monster smashes in the roof of the gemstone reserve and deposits fused into the interior. Any idea what they're after? He asks the Stormfather. No, this is odd behavior. Dalinar moves toward the Thunderclass, and as it begins to rage and tear, uh, as it begins to rage and tear the gemstone reserve to pieces, a million sparkling bits of glass caught the sunlight as they fell over the city, the wall, and beyond. Spheres and gemstones. Dalinar realized all the wealth of Thelena. Scattered like leaves. Two fuse darted past Dalinar, led by a glowing yellow spren, straight toward a palanquin that had been fleeing toward the Oath Gate. Dalinar rushes over to it as the fuse streak away and he finds Risen and Vistum there. What do they want? Bright Lord? She blinked, then seized his arm. The king's drop, a ruby. They tried to steal it before, and now now they've taken it. A ruby? A simple gemstone? Dalinar looked over his shoulder at the retreating thunderclast. Why would they want a specific ruby? Figures outside with glowing red eyes arrayed themselves on the battlefield, but they weren't Parshmen. Those were Sadius uniforms. And we cut to Yasna's POV. Yasna moved into the temple, gripping her shard blade. The red spren rising from Renarin, like a snowflake made of crystal and light, seemed to sense her and panicked, disappearing into Renarin with a puff. A spren is, Ivory said. The wrong spren is. Renarin Colin was a liar. He was no truth watcher. That is a spren of odium, Ivory said. Corrupted spren. But a human bonded to one? This thing is not. It is, Yasna whispered. Somehow. She was now close enough to hear Renarin whispering. No, not father. No, please. And then we cut away to Shallan's point of view. Shallan wove light. A simple illusion, some soldiers from the army, people from Urethiru, and some of the spren she'd sketched on her trip. Around twenty individuals in total. Tall's nails, Adolin said as Kaladin shot upward through the sky. The bridge boy is really into it. 
Kaladin drew away four of the fused, but two remained behind. Shallan added an illusion of Azure to her group, then some of the Reachers she'd drawn. Good luck, she whispered to Adolin. Remember, I, can't, I won't be controlling these directly. They will make only rudimentary motions. We'll be fine. Adolin glanced at Pattern, Sill, and the spread of his sword. Right, guys? Hmm, Pattern said. I do not like being stabbed. Wise words, friend. Wise words. Adolin gave Shallan a kiss, then they took off running toward the bridge. Sill, Pattern, and the Deadeye followed, as did the illusions, which were bound to Adolin. This force drew the attention of the last two fused. Shallan slips off the bridge and uses Stormlight to cross the sea and climb onto the Oathgate platform. The two enormous spren stood above it. She stepped up beneath the two sentinels, which stood tall as buildings. One mother of pearl, the other black with an oily shimmer. At a loss for what else to do, Shallan simply waved her hand. Um, hello? Steadily, two, hands two heads turned down toward her. And we turn to Venli's point of view. The air around Venli was now empty save for the single black figure of swirling smoke. She'd missed that one at first, as it was the size of a normal person. It stood near Odium, and she did not know what it represented. The second thunderclass begins to approach the city walls. Odium stood beside Venli, a glowing forest of burning gold. The first thunderclass returns to Odium, carrying the two fused who had attacked Risen. What is that they carry? Venli asked. A gemstone? Is that why we came here? A rock? No, Odium said. This is, that is merely a precaution. A last-minute addition I made to prevent a potential disaster. The prize I claim today is far greater. Even more grand than the city itself. The conduit of my freedom. The bane of Roshar. Forward, child, to the gap in the wall. I may need you to speak for me. She started hiking toward the city. The dark city this dark spirit followed, the last who had yet to inhabit a body. And we cut back to Kaladin's point of view. Kaladin's sword. Only four of the fused had chosen to take off after him. Adolin would have to deal with the other two. The four flew with precision. They used lashings like Kaladin did, though they, seemed, they didn't seem to be able to vary their speed as much as he could. But the way they flew. So graceful. They didn't jerk this way or that, but flowed lithely from one motion to the next. They used their entire bodies to sculpt the wind of their passing and control their flight. Kaladin had claimed the skies, but it looked like he'd moved into territory where someone had a prior entitlement. I don't have to fight them, he thought. I only have to keep them busy long enough for Shallan to figure out how to activate the portal. Kaladin lashed himself upward. He twisted in the air and found one of the fused almost upon him. The creature stabbed its long spear at him, but Kaladin lashed himself to the side just in time. He fell up and slightly to the north, but fought while facing downward, battering away the enemy lance with his harpoon. Kaladin's harpoon was at a severe disadvantage. Right, time to change that. As the fuse rammed the lance upward again, Kaladin lashed his own weapon downward with ma multiple lashings, then dropped it. It slid along the length of the lance and smacked into the fused arms, and the creature shouted in pain, letting go of his weapons. At the same time, Kaladin dove. The sudden jarring change made his stomach lurch and his vision go black. His ears ringing, he gritted his teeth, riding the momentary loss of sight until his vision returned. He spun in the air, then pulled up and snatched the falling lance as it dropped past him. The four fused swooped after him, more cautious. Let's not try that again, Kaladin thought, hefting his new weapon. The fused he disarmed swooped down to fetch the harpoon. Kaladin waved his hand toward the others, then took off toward some nearby mountains. Down below, he could see Shallan's illusions engaging the two fused on the bridge. Eyes forward, Kaladin thought, as the four others chased after him. He belonged in, these, in the skies with these creatures. Time to prove it.
and we cut to Gox's point of view. Oh, interesting. Prime Akasix Yanagon I, Emperor of all Makabak, paced in the cabin of his ship. Glyph thinks we should have stayed, he said. War is coming to Thalen City. We're merely protecting our fleet from the storm, Nora said. Pardon, Vizier, but that's a load of choldung and you know it. We left because you're worried that Kulin is being manipulated by the enemy. That is not the only reason, Sion Unoqua said. We have always been skeptical of the Lost Radiance. The powers that Dalinar Kulin wishes to harness are extremely dangerous, as now proven by their translations of an ancient record. Lift says, Yanagon said. Lift, Nora said? You listen to her far too much, your Imperial Majesty. She's smart. She once tried to eat your cummerbund. She thought it sounded like a type of dessert. Yanagon took a deep breath. Besides, she's not that kind of smart. She's the other kind. What other kind, your Imperial Majesty? Vizier Dalxisa asked. The kind that knows when it's wrong to betray a friend. I think we should go back. Am I Emperor or not? You are Emperor, Nora said. But, your Majesty, remember your lessons. The thing that separates us from the monarchies of the East and the chaos they suffer is that our Emperor is held in check. Azor can and will withstand a change in dynasty. Your power is absolute, but you do not exercise it all. You must not. You were chosen, Unokwa said, by, Ye- by Yezir himself to lead. I was chosen, Yanagon cut in, because nobody would shed a tear if the assassin in white came for me. Let's not play games, all right? You performed a miracle, Unokwa said. Lift performed a miracle, using powers you now say are too dangerous to trust. The three looked to each other. Yanagon stopped by the cabin window. A knock came at the door. Yanagon settled in his regal chair as a guardsman with light brown skin entered. Vono? Nora asked. What happened to your charge? You were to keep her busy and distracted, yes? I was, your grace, Vono said, until she kicked me in my spheres and stuffed me under the bed. Um, your grace. Don't right know how she moved me. She's not real big, that one. Lift, Yanagon thought? He had almost cried out, demanding answers. But he held himself back with difficulty. When was this? Nora asked. Right before we left, the guard said. Sorry, your grace, I've been down since before- I've been down since then, only now recovered. Yanagon turned toward Nora. Another figure approached the door, a woman. Viziers, news from the city. Good news? Nora asked hopefully. The Alethi have turned against the Thalen and now seek to conquer them. They've been allied with the Parshman all along. Your grace, by fleeing, we have narrowly avoided a trap. Quickly, Nora said, separate our ships from any that bear Alethi troops. We must not be caught unaware. They left, abandoning Yanagon. He settled into his seat, worried and afraid, feeling a sickness in his gut. The Alethi traitors? Lift had been wrong. He had been wrong. The Yazir blessed them. This really was the end of days. And we cut to Shallan's point of view. We are the gatekeepers, the two enormous Spren said to Shallan, speaking with voices that overlapped as if one. Lightweaver, you have no permission to use this portal. But I need to get through! I have Stormlight to pay! Your payment will be refused. We are locked by the word of the parent. Your parent? Who? The parent is dead now. So, we are locked. Travel to and from Shadesmar was prohibited during the parent's last days. We are bound to obey. Behind Shallan on the bridge, Adolin had devised a clever tactic. He acted like an illusion to avoid revealing himself. Pattern and Sill did likewise, while the two fused hovered overhead. They knew someone in that mass was real, but they couldn't ascertain who. Shallan's time was short. Please, the other Oathgate, the one at Kolinar, let me through. Impossible, they said. We are bound by honor, by rules Spren cannot break. This portal is closed. Then why did you let those others through? The army that stood around here earlier? The souls of the dead? They did not need our portal. They were called by the enemy, pulled along ancient paths to waiting hosts. You living cannot do the same. 
You must seek the perpendicularity to transfer. We are apologetic. We have been alone very long. We would enjoy granting passage to men again, but we cannot do that which was forbidden. And we cut, a cr we cut away to Zeth. Zeth of the Skybreakers hovered far above the battlefield. The Alethi have changed sides, Eboshi? They have seen the truth, Nin said, hovering beside him. Zeth did not know where the rest of the Skybreakers had gone. All along, this world belonged to the Parshman. My people watched not for the return of an invading army, but for the masters of the house. Yes, Nin said. And you sought to stop them. I knew what must happen if they returned. Who has jurisdiction over this land, Zeth's son, Naturo? A man can rule his home until the city lord demands his taxes. The city lord controls his lands until the high lord, in turn, comes to him for payment. But the high lord must answer to the high prince when war is called in his lands. And the king? He must answer to God. You said God was dead. A God is dead. Another won the war by right of conquest. The original masters of this land have returned, so as you so aptly made metaphor, with the keys to the house. So tell me, Zeth's son, Naturo, he who is about to swear the third ideal, whose law should the skybreakers follow, that of humans or that of the real owners of this land? There seemed to be no choice. Nin's logic was sound. No choice at all. Don't be stupid, the sword said. Let's go fight those guys. The Parshmen? They are the rightful rulers of the land. Rightful? Who has a right to land? Humans are always claiming things, but nobody asks the things, now do they? Well, nobody owns me. Vivenna told me. I'm my own sword. I have no choice. Really? Didn't you tell me you spent a thousand years following the instructions of a rock? More than seven years, Sordimi. And I didn't follow the rock, but the words of the one who held it. I... had no choice. It had always been nothing more than a rock. And we cut to Kaladin's point of view. Kaladin swooped downward and passed above the treetops. He turned upward with the slope of the mountain. He used his arms to sculpt the wind around himself, angling toward a crack through where two mountains met. Alive with the light and wind, he didn't care if the fused were gaining on him or not. Let them watch. His angle was wrong to get through the crack, so Kaladin lashed himself back away from the mountain in an enormous loop, continuously changing his lashings one after another. He made a circle in the air, then darted past the fused and straight through the crack. He broke out the other side, exhilarated. His Cal Kaladin dove along the slopes as three fused pop out of, popped out of the crack to follow him. He led them around the base of the mountain, then wound back toward the Oathgate to check on Shallan and the others. He exploded free of the forest and found the fourth fused, the one with his harpoon, waiting. The creature attacked, but Kaladin dodged and tore across the ground until he was passing over the Sea of Beads. A quick glance showed him Shallan on the platform, waving her hands over her head, the prearranged signal that she needed more time. Kaladin continued out over the sea. The last fuse slowed to hover in place, and the other three slowly emerged from the forest. Kaladin spun in another loop. He curved an arc and came in toward the harpoon-wielding fused. Kaladin slapped the parchment's weapon aside while he kicked his enemy in the chest. The harpoon went upward, and the fuse went backward. The creature pulled himself to a stop in the air with a lashing, then looked down at his hands, dumbfounded as Kaladin caught the harpoon in his free hand. The disarmed enemy barked something, then shook his head and took out his sword. He glided backward to join the other three, who approached. One of these moved forward alone, then pointed at Kaladin with his lance and said something. I don't speak your language, Kaladin called back, but if that was a challenge, you against me, I accept. Gladly. And at that moment, his stormlight ran out. And we cut to Navani's point of view. 
Devani emerged back onto the wall after taking cover when the Thunderclass had attacked. Fen and her consort were with her, but the rest of their retinue had gotten caught on the other side of the gap. Devani opens a door that leads to a stairwell down and lets Fen and her consort go through first. She stays behind watching the enemy armies transfixed. The ranks outside split, making way for a single Parshwoman. Behind her, the red mist surged, sending tendrils to weave among the men, including one wearing shardplate. Amaram had changed sides. He joined an overwhelming force of Voidbringers in all shapes and sizes. How could they fight this? How could anyone fight this? Navani fell to her knees. And then she noticed something else. Something in- incongruous. Something her mind refused to accept. A solitary figure. He picked his way across the rubble, carrying a book tucked under his arm. Unaided and defenseless, Dalinar Kalin stepped into the gap in the broken wall, and there faced the nightmare alone. And that is the end of the chapter. Uh, chapter 117, Champion with Nine Shadows. It has the general symbol again, and it's, uh, the epigraph reads, Beware the otherworlders, the traitors, those with tongues of sweetness, but with minds that lust for blood. Do not take them in. Do not give them succor. Well were they named Voidbringers, for they brought the void, the empty pit that sucks in emotion, a new god, their god, from the Isla Stell. We start in Dalinar's point of view. Dalinar stepped onto the rubble. Amaram's army hesitated outside the gap. These kept uneven ranks, snarling, eyes red. More telling, they ignored the wealth at their feet. A field of spheres and gemstones, all done, that had been thrown out onto this plane by the Thunderclass that had destroyed the reserve. They wanted blood instead. Twin Thunderclass stomped toward the wall. Red Haze drifted among the men. Dalinar faced it alone. One man. All that remained of a broken dream. So, what's the plan? Dalinar frowned, then looked down to find a Reshi girl. Lift? Didn't you leave? Sure did. What's wrong with your army? There is now. Did you forget to feed them? Perhaps I didn't try hard enough. Were you... thinking you'd fight them all on your own? With a book? There was someone else for me to fight here. With a book? Yes. She shook her head. Sure, all right, why not? What do you want me to do? The girl didn't match the conventional ideal of a Night Radiant, but she was also all that he had. Do you have a weapon? Nope, can't read. Can't. I meant a real weapon lift. Oh yeah, I've got one of those. She thrust her hand to the side. Mist formed into a small, glittering shard blade. Or, no, it was just a pole. A silver pole with a rudimentary crossguard. Lift shrugged. Wendell doesn't like hurting people. Doesn't like. What kind of world did he live in where swords didn't like hurting people? A fuse escaped from this city a short time ago, carrying an enormous ruby. I don't know why they wanted it, and I'd rather not find out. Can you steal it back? Sure, easy. You'll find it with a fuse who can move with a power similar to your own. A woman. Like I said, easy. Easy? I think you might find. Relax, Grandpa. Steal the rock. I can do that. She took a deep breath, then exploded with stormlight. It's just us two, then? Yes. Right. Good luck with the army. Dalinar looked back at the soldiers where a figure materialized, wearing gold, holding a scepter like a cane. It's not the army that worries me. But Lyft had already scampered away. Odium strolled up to Dalinar, trailed by a handful of fused, plus the woman Dalinar had sucked into his visions, and a shadowy spren that looked like it was made of twisting smoke. What was that? Odium didn't address Dalinar at first, but instead turned to his fused. Tell you, Shah, I want her to stay out here and guard the prison. Kai Garnis did well destroying the wall. Tell her to return to the city and climb toward the Oath Gate. 
If the Tizark can't secure it, she is to destroy the device and recover its gemstones. We can rebuild it as long as the Spren aren't compromised. Two fuse left, each running toward one of the towering thunderclasts. Odium placed both hands on the top of his scepter and smiled at Dalinar. Well, my friend, here we are and the time has arrived. Are you ready? Yes. Good, good. Let us begin. And we cut to Adolin's point of view. The fused searching for Adolin finally adopt a clever plan. One of them cuts their hand and flicks the blood at the illusions, and some of it lands on Adolin's cheek, marking him as real. The other lowered his spear and charged Adolin. Adolin flung his harpoon up to block, but deflecting the lance, but the fuse still smashed into him, tossing him backward. Adolin hit the stone bridge hard. Vision swimming, he reached for his harpoon, but the fuse slapped the weapon away. Adolin yanked out his belt knife, then forced himself to his feet, unsteady. Knife against spear. Adolin breathed in and out, worried about the other fused who had gone for Shallan. He tried to dredge up Zahel's lessons. Adolin flipped the knife, then held it forward so he could deflect the, sphere, the spear thrusts. Adolin stepped in, testing, and waited for the thrust. When it came, Adolin shoved the lance's point aside with his knife, then grabbed it. The enemy floated backward in an unnatural motion. Too fast. No ordinary human could have moved in such a way. Adolin stumbled. The fuse brought the lance back around, then rammed it right through Adolin's stomach. Adolin gasped oh. at the sharp spike of pain, doubling over. The fuse seemed almost bored as he yanked the lance out, then dropped the weapon. The creature landed and unsheathed a sword. He advanced and raised the sword to strike. Someone leaped onto the fuse from behind. Adolin gaped as his dead eye raked long nails across the fuse's face, causing him to stumble backward. He rammed his sword into the Spren's chest, but it didn't phase her in the least. She just kept attacking. Adolin shook himself. Flee, idiot! Holding his wounded gut, he lurched across the bridge toward Shallan. And we cut to Shallan's point of view. Employing subterfuge will not deceive us or weaken our resolve, Lightweaver, the Guardian said. For indeed, this is not a matter of decision, but one of nature. The path remains closed. Shallan let the illusion melt around her, then slumped down, exhausted. She tried pleading, cajoling, yelling, and even light-weaving. It was no use. She had failed. Her illusions on the bridge were wavering and vanishing, their stormlight running out. A fused rush toward Shallan, Lance pointed directly at her, and Shallan instinctively threw out her hand to summon Pattern as a shard blade. It didn't work, of course. Pattern, Pattern shouted in apology from the bridge, and yet in that moment, Shallan felt... something. Pattern, or something like him, just beyond her mental reach. On the other side. And if she could just tug on it, feed it... She screamed as stormlight flowed through her, reaching toward something in her pocket. A wall appeared in front of her. Shallan gasped, a sickening smack from the other side of the wall indicated that the fuse had collided with it. Shallan looked down and found that her pocket was connected to the strange wall. She sawed the pocket free, then stumbled back. In the center of the wall was a small bead melded into the stone. That's the bead I used to cross the sea down below, Shallan thought. What she'd done felt like soul casting, yet different. Pattern ran up to her. Where were Adolin and Syl? I took the soul of the wall, Shallan said, and then made its physical form appear on this side. Hmm, I think these beads are more minds than souls, but you did manifest it here. Very nice, though your touch is unpracticed. Hmm, it will not stay for long. The edges were already starting to unravel to smoke. Shallan scrambled over the bridge, away from the sentinels. She passed some of her illusions and recovered a little of her stormlight. Adolin, bleeding! Shallan dashed over and grabbed him by the arm. It's just a little cut, he said. Just a little cut. Adolin, you- No time, he said. He nodded toward the fuse she'd fought who rose into the air over Shallan's wall. 
The other one is back behind me somewhere. Could be on us at any moment. Kaladin, Shalon said. Where? Mmm, Pattern said, pointing. He ran out of stormlight and fell into the beads over that way. Great. Take a deep breath, Shalon said to Adolin, then pulled him off the bridge with her and leaped for the beads. We cut to Lyft's point of view. Lyft became awesome. Soldiers tried to grab her, but they couldn't hold her. She just slid away. She burst from their ranks and fell to her knees. Wendell, who she knew by now was almost certainly not a Voidbringer, was a little snaking line of green beside her. Oh, I don't like this, he said. You don't like nothing. No, that is not true, mistress. I like that nice town we passed back at Azir. The one that was deserted? So peaceful. There, Lyft thought, picking out a real Voidbringer. This one was a woman, and moved across the rock smoothly, like she was awesome too. I've always wondered, Lyft said. Do you suppose they got those marble colorings on all their parts? Mistress, does it matter? Maybe not now. Going about on your knees didn't look as devy as standing up. But when she tried being awesome while standing, she usually ended up crashed against a rock. That fuse did seem to be carrying something large in one hand, like a big gemstone. Lyft paddled in that direction. She got up pretty close before the Voidbringer human turned and noticed, or Voidbringer woman turned and noticed. Lyft slid to a halt, letting her stormlight run out. The Voidbringer said something in a sing-song voice, hefting the enormous ruby. The Voidbringer spoke again, and while Lyft couldn't figure out the words, she couldn't help feeling that the Voidbringer seemed amused. The woman pushed off with one foot, then slid on the other, easy as if she was standing on oil. She coasted for a second, then looked over her shoulder and grinned before kicking off and sliding to the left, casually moving with a grace that made Lyft seem super stupid. Well, starve me, Lyft said. She's more awesome than I am. Do you have to use that term? Wendell asked. Yes, she appears to be able to access the surge of- Shut it! Can you follow her? I might leave you behind. I'll keep up. Maybe. You follow her. I'll follow you. Wendell sighed but obeyed, streaking off after the Voidbringer. Lyft followed, paddling on her knees, feeling like a pig trying to imitate a professional dancer. And we cut to Zeth's point of view. You must choose, Zeth's son Naturo, Nin said. The Skybreakers will swear to the Dawnsingers in their law. And you? Will you join us? All those years ago, he'd been correct. The Voidbringers had returned. Now, now he was simply to accept their rule? I don't trust myself, Aboshi. I cannot see the right any longer. My own decisions are not trustworthy. Yes, Nin said. Our minds are fallible. That, this is why we must pick something external to follow. Only in strict adherence to a code can we approximate justice. Zeth inspected the battlefield far below. When are we going to actually fight someone? asked the sword. You sure do like to talk a lot, even more than Vasher, and he could go on and on and on. Aboshi, Zeth said. When I say the third ideal, can I choose a person as the thing I obey, instead of the law? Yes. Some of the Skybreakers have chosen to follow me, and I suspect that will make their transition to obeying the Dawnsingers easier for them. I would not suggest it. I feel that... I am... getting worse. A man in blue barred the way into the city. Below. He confronted... Something else. A force that Zeth could just barely sense. A hidden fire. You followed men before, Nin continued. They caused your pain, Zeth's son, Naturo. Your agony is picking is because you did not follow something unchanging and pure. You picked men instead of an ideal. Or, Zeth said, perhaps I was simply forced to follow the wrong men. And we cut to Kaladin's point of view. Kaladin thrashed in the beads, suffocating and coughing. His fingers brushed something warm and soft among the beads, and a hand seized his arm. Another hand took him by the, coat, the front of the coat, pulling him away from the darkness. He followed, eventually bursting from the beads to find Syl pulling him by the front of the coat. She led him up the bank. The fuse he'd been fighting landed on the Oathgate platform near the two they'd left behind. 
As Kaladin was recovering his breath, beads, beads nearby pulled back, revealing Shallan, Adolin, and Pattern. Adolin was wounded. Kaladin gritted his teeth, forcing himself to his feet and stumbling over to help Shallan. The prince lay on his back, cursing softly, holding his gut with bloodied hands. Let me see it, Kaladin said. The blood, Shallan started. The blood is the least of his worries. He's not going to bleed out from a gut wound anytime soon. But sepsis is another story. And if internal organs got cut... Leave me, Adolin said. Leave you to go where? The intestines were cut. I'm out of stormlight. Shallan's glow faded. That was the last of what I had. Syl gripped Kaladin's shoulder, looking toward the fuse, who launched up and flew toward them. Pattern hummed softly, nervously. What do we do then? Shallan asked. No, Kaladin thought. Give me your knife, Adolin said, trying to sit up. It can't be the end. Adolin, no, rest. Maybe we can surrender. I can't fail him! Kaladin looked over his shoulder toward Sil, who held him lightly by the arm. She nodded. The words, Kaladin. And we cut to Dalinar's point of view. Amaram's soldiers parted around Dalinar, flooding into the city. So, child, Odium nodded toward the city and took Dalinar by the shoulder. You did something marvelous in forging that coalition. You should feel proud. I'm certainly proud. How could Dalinar fight this thing? How could he face something so vast, so incredible? Touching it, Dalinar could sense it stretching into infinity, permeating the land, the people, the sky, and the stone. He would break, go insane if he tried to comprehend this being. And somehow he had to defeat it? Convince him that he can lose, the Almighty had said in vision. Appoint a champion. He will take that chance. This is the best advice I can give you. Honor had been slain resisting this thing. Dalinar licked his lips. A contest of champions. I demand that we clash over this world. For what purpose? Killing us won't free you, will it? You could rule us or destroy us, but either way, you'd still be trapped here. Nearby, one of the Thunderclass climbed over the wall and entered the city. The others stayed, stayed behind. A contest, Dalinar said to Odium. Your freedom if you win. Our lives if humans win. Be careful what you request, Dalinar Colin. As Bondsmith, you can offer this deal. But is this truly what you wish of me? I... was it? And we cut to Lyft's point of view. Wendell followed the Voidbringer, and Lyft followed him. Lyft slipped between the legs of a soldier. They smashed weapons about her, speaking Alethi curses. I can't do this on my knees, she thought. I have to be like her. I have to be free. Lyft zipped over the side of a small rise in the rock and managed to land on her feet. She ran for a moment, then slicked the bottoms of her feet and went into a slide. The Voidbringer woman passed ahead. She didn't slip and fall, but performed this strange walking motion, one that let her control her smooth glide. Lyft tried to do the same. She trusted in her awesomeness, her stormlight, to sustain her. Men cursed around her, but sound slid off Lyft as she coated herself in light. The wind itself couldn't touch her. She'd been here before. She'd held for a beautiful moment between crashes, sliding on bare feet, moving free, untouched, like she was gliding between worlds. She could do it. She could. Something crashed to the ground nearby, crushing several soldiers, throwing Lyft off balance and sending her into a heap. She slid to a stop and rolled over, looking up at one of the huge stone monsters. The skeletal thing raised a spiked hand and slammed it down. Lyft threw herself out of the way. Soldiers nearby didn't seem to care that their fellows had been crushed. Eyes glowing, they scrambled for her. The creature pounded against, mashing three soldiers, but also slamming into Lyft. The blow snapped her legs in the blink of an eye, then crushed her lower half, sending her into a screaming fit of pain. Eyes watering, she curled up on the ground. Heal. Heal. She blinked away tears, looking up at the creature. Mistress, Windle said. Oh, mistress, summon me as a sword. The pain in her legs started to fade. Too slowly. She was growing hungry again. Her stormlight running low. 
She summoned Wendell as a rod, twisting against the pain and holding him toward the monster, her eyes watering with the effort. An explosion of light appeared overhead, a ball of expanding radiance. Something dropped from the middle of it, trailing smoke both black and white, glowing like a star. Mother, Wendell said. What is... As the monster raised its fist to strike lift, the spear of light hit the creature in the head and cut straight through. It divided the enormous thing in two, sending out an explosion of black smoke. The halves of the monster fell to the sides, crashing into the stone, then burned away, evaporating into blackness. Soldiers cursed and coughed, backing up as something resolved in the center of the tempest. A figure in the smoke, glowing white and holding a jet-black shard blade that seemed to feed on the smoke, sucking it in, then letting it pour down beneath itself as a liquid blackness. White and black. A man with a shaved head, eyes glowing a light gray, stormlight rising from him. He straightened and strode through the smoke, leaving an afterimage behind him. Lyft had seen this man before. The assassin in white. Murderer and apparently, savior. He stopped beside her. The Blackthorn assigned you a task? Uh, yeah, Lyft said. There's a Voidbringer who stole a large ruby. I'm supposed to get it back. Then stand, the assassin said, raising his strange shard blade toward the enemy soldiers. Our master has given us a task. We shall see it completed. We are in Navani's point of view now. Navani scrambles across the top of the wall. Uh, she's alone at this point. Uh, both Fen and Fen's husband have gone down below she thinks she's thinking like don't if dalinar becomes a martyr i'm gonna kill him she says like facing entire army on his own he wasn't a young man in his prime outfitted in shard plate anymore and she reaches the bottom of the stairs and is grabbed by one of amaram's soldiers who has already captured fen and her consort what a handsome reward you'll earn me the man hissed at navani two queens bright, bright lord amaram will enjoy this gift that almost makes up for not being able to kill you personally, as justice for what your husband did to Bright Lord Sadius. And then we cut away to Ash's point of view. Ash stumbled to a stop before a brazier. Ten figures ringed the bowl. Her fingers itched. She couldn't move on, no matter how desperate her task, until she'd done it. She seized the bowl and turned it until she found the woman depicting her. Marked by the iconography, iconography of the brush and the mask. Symbols of creativity. Pure absurdity. She pulled out her knife and sawed at the metal until she'd managed to scratch out the face. Good enough. Good enough. She dropped it and kept going. What that man, Moraes, had told her had better be true. If he had lied. The large tent near the wall was completely unguarded, though soldiers had run past her a short time ago, eyes glowing with the light of corrupted investiture. Odium has learned to possess men. A dark, dangerous day. He'd always been able to tempt them to fight for him, but sending Spren to bond with them? Terrible. And how had he managed to start a storm of his own? Well, this land was finally doomed. And Ash? Ash couldn't find it inside herself to care any longer. She pushed into the tent, forcibly keeping herself from looking at the rug in case it bore depictions of the heralds. There she found him, sitting alone in the dim light, staring ahead sightlessly dark skin and a muscled physique. A king for all the fact that he'd never worn a crown. He was the one of the ten who was never supposed to have borne their burden, and he'd borne it the longest anyway. Tong, she whispered. And then we cut to Renarin's point of view. Renarin Corlin knew he wasn't actually a knight, a knight radiant. Gliss had once been a different kind of spren, but something had changed him, corrupted him. Gliss didn't remember that very well. It had happened before they had formed their bond. Now, neither knew what they'd become. 
Renarin could feel the Spren trembling inside him, hiding and whispering about the danger. Yasna had found them. Renarin had seen that coming. He knelt in the ancient temple of Pila, and to his eyes it was full of colors. A thousand panes of stained glass sprouted on the walls, combining and melting together, creating a panorama. He saw himself coming to Thalen City earlier in the day. He saw Dalinar talking to the monarchs. And then he saw them turning against him. She will hurt us! She will hurt us! I know, Gliss, he whispered, turning toward a specific section of stained glass. This showed Renarin kneeling on the floor of the temple. In the sequence of stained glass panels, Yasna approached him from behind, sword raised. And then she struck him down. Renarin couldn't control what he saw or when he saw it. He had learned to read so he could understand the numbers and words that appeared under some of the images. They had shown him when the Everstorm would come. They had shown him how to find the hidden compartments in Urethiru. Now they showed his death. The future. Renarin could see what was forbidden. He wrenched his eyes away from the glass pane, showing himself, and Yasna, turning toward one even worse. In it, his father knelt before a god of gold and white. No, father, Renarin whispered. Please, not that. Don't do it. He will not be resisted, Gliss said. My sorrow, Renarin. I will give you my sorrow. And then we cut to Dalinar's point of view. A pair of glory sprens swung down from the skies, golden spheres. They floated and spun around Dalinar, brilliant like drops of sunlight. Yes, this is what I wish. You wish a contest of champions. This is your true desire, not forced upon you. You would not be guiled or tricked in any way. A contest of champions for the fate of Roshar. Very well. I agree. That easily? Oh, I assure you, this won't be easy. I have chosen my champion already. I've been preparing him for a long, long time. Amaram. Him? A passionate man, yes, but hardly suited to this task. No, I need someone who dominates a battlefield like the sun dominates the sky. The thrill suddenly returned to Dalinar. The red mist roared back to life. Images filled his mind, memories of his youth spent fighting. I need someone stronger than Amaram. No. A man who will win, no matter the cost. The thrill overwhelmed Dalinar, choking him. A man who has served me all his life. A man I trust. I believe I warned you that I knew you'd make the right decision. And now, here we are. No. Take a deep breath, my friend. I'm afraid that this will hurt. And then that is the end of the chapter. Damn it. Chapter 118 is titled The Weight of It All. And it has kind of the general symbol again. And the epigraph reads, These Voidbringers know no songs. They cannot hear Roshar, and where they go, they bring silence. They look soft, but with no shell, but they are hard. They have but one heart, and it cannot ever live. From the eyeless stell. And it has Dal- it starts with Dalinar's sim- uh, not Dalinar's symbol, it starts with Dalinar's POV. Um. No, Dalinar whispered again. No, you're wrong. Odium gripped Dalinar's shoulder. What does she say? He heard Evie crying, screaming, begging for her life as the flames took her. Don't blame yourself. I made you kill her, Dalinar. I caused all of this. Do you remember? I can help. Here. Memories flooded Dalinar's mind, a devastating onslaught of images. He lived them all in detail, the thrill raging inside of him. 
he saw himself stab a poor soldier in the back, a young man trying to crawl to safety, crying for his mother. I was with you then. He killed a far better man than himself, a high lord who held Taleb's loyalty. Dalinar knocked him to the ground, then slammed a poleaxe into his chest. I was with you then. Dalinar fought atop a strange rock formation facing another man who knew the thrill. Dalinar dropped him to the ground with burning eyes and called it a mercy. I was with you then. He raged at Gavilar, anger and lust rising as twin emotions. He broke a man in a tavern, frustrated that he'd been held back from enjoying the fight. He fought on the borders of Yaakoved, laughing, corpses littering the ground. He remembered every moment of the carnage. He felt each death like a spike driven into his soul. He began to weep for the destruction. It's what you needed to do, Dalinar! You made a better kingdom! So much pain! Blame me, Dalinar. It wasn't you. You saw red when you did those things. It was my fault. Except that. You don't have to hurt. Dalinar blinked, meeting Odium's eyes. Let me have the pain, Dalinar. Give it to me and never feel guilty again. No. Dalinar hugged the Way of Kings close. No, I can't. Oh, Dalinar. What does she say? No. Have you forgotten? Here. Let me help. And he was back in that day. The day he killed Evie. And then we cut away to Zeth's point of view. <sighs> Zeth found purpose in wielding the sword. How was a twisted soul like his own to decide who should die? Impossible. And so he put his trust in someone else. Someone whose light peeked through the shadow. Delinar Colin, Knight Radiant. He would know. This choice was not perfect, but... Stones unhollowed, it was the best he could manage. It brought him some small measure of peace as he swept through the enemy army. The sword screamed at him. Destroy! Anyone he so much as nicked popped into black smoke. Zeth laid waste to the red-eyed soldiers who kept coming, showing no fear, screaming as if they thirsted for death. It was a drink that Zeth was all too good at serving. He wielded Stormlight in one hand, lashing any man who drew too close, sending them flipping into the air or crashing backward into their fellows. With the other hand, he swept the sword through their ranks. He moved on nimble feet, his own body lashed upward just enough to lighten him. Remember the gemstone. A phantom sense called to him, a desire to continue killing, to revel in the butchery. Zeth rejected it, sick. He had never enjoyed this. He could never enjoy this. The Voidbringer with the gemstone had slipped away, moving on two swift feet. Zeth pointed the sword, a piece of him terrified by how quickly it was chewing through his own stormlight, and lashed himself to follow. He plowed through soldiers, men bursting into smoke, seeking that one individual. The Voidbringer turned at the last moment, dancing away from his sword. Zeth lashed himself downward, then spun in a sweeping arc, towing black smoke behind his sword as he destroyed men in a grand circle. Evil! The sword cried. Zeth leaped for the Voidbringer woman, but she dropped to the ground and slid on the stone as if it were greased. His sword swung over her head and she pushed herself backward toward him, sliding right past his legs. There, she swept gracefully to her feet and seized the sheath off Zeth's back. When Zeth turned to attack, she blocked the sword with its own sheath. How had she done that? Was there something about the silvery metal that Zeth didn't know? She blocked his next few attacks, then ducked away from his attempts to lash her. The sword was growing frustrated. Destroy! 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 Black veins began to grow around Zeth's hand, creeping toward his upper arm. He struck again, but she simply slipped away. Other soldiers piled in, and the pain started up Zeth's arm as he worked death among them. And we cut to Yasna's point of view. 
Yasna stopped behind Renarin. She could hear his whispers clearly now. Father, oh father. The young man whipped his head in one direction, then another, seeing things that weren't there. He sees not what is, but what is to come, Ivory said. Odium's power, Yasna. And then we cut over to Ash's point of view again. Talm, Ash whispered, kneeling before him. Oh, Talm. I am Talenelali Lin, herald of war. The time of the return, the desolation is near at hand. Talm? Ash took his hand. It's me. It's Ash. We must prepare. You will have forgotten much. Please, Talm. Kalak will teach you to cast bronze. He just continued on, repeating the same words over and over. And then we cut to Kaladin's point of view. Kaladin fell to his knees on the cold obsidian of Shadesmar. Fuse descended around him six figures in brilliant, flapping clothing. He had a single, slim hope. Each ideal he'd spoken had resulted in an outpouring of power and strength. I... I will. He thought of friends lost. Malip, Jax, Beld, and Payden. Say it, Stormew. I... Rod and Mart. Bridgman he'd failed, and before them, slaves he'd tried to save. Goshal. Norma, caught in a trap like a beast. A windspread appeared near him, like a line of light. Then another. A single hope. The words. Say the words. And then we cut over to Lyft's point of view. Oh, mother! Oh, cultivation! Windle cried as they watched the assassin murder his way across the field. What have we done? We pointed him away from us. You'd rather he was close by? Windle continued to whimper, and Lyft kinda understood. There was a lot of killing that the assassin did. She'd lost track of the woman with the gemstone, but at least the army seemed to be flowing away from Zeth, leaving him fewer people to kill. He stumbled, slowing, then dropped to his knees. Uh-oh. Lyft summoned Windle as a rod in case the assassin lost his starving mind and attacked her. She slipped off the rock, then ran over. He held the strange shard blade before himself. It continued to leak black liquid that vaporized as it streamed toward the ground. His hand had gone all black. I... I have lost the sheath. Drop the sword. I... can't. It holds to me, feasting upon my... my stormlight. It will soon consume me. Right, right. Um... Lyft looked around. The army was flooding into the city. The second stone monster was stomping across the ancient ward, stepping on the buildings. Dalinar Colin still stood before the gap. Maybe... maybe he could help? Come on, she said. And we cut to Navani's point of view. The captain holding Navani tells his subordinate to kill Fen's consort, but before he can do it, Navani activates the fabriole on her wrist and uses it to shock the ever-loving shit out of the man holding her. The other tries to grab her, and she shocks the shit out of him too. Uh, she frees Fen, who then frees her consort, and they decide to go back up onto the wall and hide there. Kamakul notices the thrill in the distance, and is horrified by it. But Dalinar, Dalinar drew her eyes, standing alone, surrounded by enemy soldiers, and facing something she could just barely sense. Something vast. Something unimaginable. Something angry. And then we cut to Dalinar's point of view. Dalinar lived in two places. He was on the field at Thalen City with Odium, but he was also in the past, approaching Rathalus. He ordered the oil brought, he turned toward a city where every was imprisoned, where children slept where innocent people hid and prayed and burned glyphords and wept. Please, don't make me live it again. Oh, Dalinar, you will live it again and again, until you let go. You can't carry this burden. Please, give it to me. 
I drove you to do this. It wasn't your fault. Dalinar pulled the Way of Kings close close against his chest, clutching it like a child with his blanket in the night. But a sudden flash of light blasted in front of him, accompanied by a deafening crack. Dalinar stumbled backward. Lightning. That had been lightning. Had it struck him? No. It had somehow struck only the book. Burned pages fluttered around him. It had been blasted right from his hands. Odium shook his head. The words of a man long dead, long failed. Overhead, the sun finally passed behind the clouds of the storm, and all fell into darkness. Then we cut to Teft's point of view. Teft huddled someplace dark. Maybe the darkness would hide his sins. But in the distance, he heard shouting, men fighting, Bridge Four dying. And we cut to Kaladin's point of view. Kaladin stuttered, the words stumbling. He thought of his men from Amaram's army, Dalit and his squad, slain either by Shallan's brother or by Amaram, such good friends who had fallen. And then, of course, he thought of Tien. And we cut back to Dalinar's point of view. Dalinar fell to his knees. A few glory spren swirled around him, but Odium batted them away. In the back of his mind, the Stormfather wept. He saw himself step up to where Evie was imprisoned. Dalinar tried to look away, but the vision was everywhere. He didn't merely see it, he lived it. He ordered Evie's death and listened to her screams. Please! Odium wasn't done with him. Dalinar had to watch the city burn, hear the children die. Before, his pains had driven him to drink. There was no drink now, just the thrill. He had always craved it. The thrill had made him live. He slumped, bowing his head, listening to the tears of a woman who had believed in him. He'd never deserved her. The Stormfather's weeping faded as Odium somehow shoved the spren away, separating them. That left Dalinar alone. So alone. You're not alone, Dalinar, Odium said, going down on one knee beside him. I'm here. I've always been here. The thrill boiled within, and Dalinar knew. He knew he'd always been a fraud. He was the same as Amaram. He had an honest reputation, but was a murderer on the inside. A destroyer. A child killer. Let go. Dalinar squeezed his eyes shut, trembling, and clawed the ground. It hurt so badly to know that he'd failed them. Navani, Adolin, Elikar, Gavilar. He couldn't live with this. He couldn't live with her tears. Give it to me. Dalinar ripped his fingernails off, but the pain of the body couldn't distract him. It was nothing beside the agony of his soul, of knowing what he truly was. And we cut to Zeth's point of view. Zeth tried to walk toward Dalinar. The darkness had grown up his arm, and the sword drank his last wisps of stormlight. He fell to the ground, still holding the sword as it screamed mindlessly. Destroy! Evil! The little radiant girl scrambled to him. She looked toward the sky as the sun vanished behind clouds. Then she took Zeth's head in her hands. No, it will take you too. She breathed life into him somehow, and the sword drank of it freely. Her eyes went wide as the black veins began to grow up her fingers and hands. And we cut to Renarin's POV. Renarin didn't want to die, but strangely he found himself welcoming Yasna's strike. Better to die than to live to see what was happening to his father, for he saw the future. He saw his father in black armor, a plague upon the land. He saw the Blackthorn return, a terrible scourge with nine shadows. Odium's champion. He's going to fall, Renarin whispered. He's already fallen. He belongs to the enemy now. Dalinar Colin is no more.
and we cut to Venley's point of view. Venley shivered on the plane near Odium. Timber had been pulsing to peace, but now she quieted. Twenty or thirty yards away, a figure in white clothing collapsed to the ground, a little girl at his side. Nearer to her, Dalinar Colin, the man who had resisted, slumped forward, head bowed, holding one hand against his chest and trembling. Odium stepped back. It is done! You have a leader. We must follow one of them? Tarash asked. Asked, a human? Odium smiled. You will follow me, Tarash, or I will reclaim that which gives you persistent life. I cared not for the shape of the tool, only that it cuts. Tarash bowed his head. A figure in shard plate walked up to them, carrying a shard blade in one hand and an empty sheath in the other. The human had his face plate up, exposing red eyes. He tossed the silvery sheath to the ground. I was told to deliver that to you. Well done, Meridas! Aberay, could you provide this human with an appropriate housing for Yelignar? One of the fused stepped forward and proffered a small, uncut smokestone toward the human. And what is this? The fulfillment of my promise to you. Swallow it. What? If you wish for the promised power, ingest that. Then try to control the one who follows. But be warned, the queen at Kolinar tried this, and the power consumed her. Uh, Meridas is Amaram, by the way. I don't I know. know if you remember what his first name I is. Know. Okay, cool. Meridas held up the gemstone, then glanced toward Dalinar Kolin. So, you've been speaking to him all this time, too? Even longer than I've been speaking to you. Can I kill him? Someday. Assuming I don't let him kill you, Odium rested his hand on the shoulder of the huddled Dalinar Kolin. It's done, Dalinar. The pain is past. Stand up and claim the station you were born to obtain. Then we cut to Kaladin's point of view. Kaladin thought finally of Dalinar. Could Kaladin do it? Could he really say these words? Could he mean them? The fused swept close. Adolin bled. I... you know what you need to do. I... Can't. I can't lose him, but... Oh, almighty. I can't save him. Kaladin bowed his head, sagging forward, trembling. He couldn't say those words. He wasn't strong enough. Sil's arms enfolded him from behind, and he felt softness as her cheek pressed against the back of his neck. He pulled him tight as he wept, sobbing at his failure. And then we cut to Yasna's point of view. Yasna raised her blade above Renarin's head. Make it quick. Make it painless. Most threats to a dynasty came from within. Renarin was obviously corrupted. She'd known there was a problem the moment she'd read that he'd predicted the Everstorm. Now Yasna had to be strong. She had to do what was right, even when it was so, so hard. She prepared to swing, but then Renarin turned and looked at her. Tears streaming down his face, he met her eyes and he nodded. Suddenly, they were young again. He was a trembling child weeping on her shoulder for a father who didn't seem to be able to feel love. Always misunderstood, laughed at and condemned by people who said similar things about Yasna behind her back. Yasna dismissed her sword. Yasna, Ivory said. Yasna fell to her knees, then pulled Renarin into an embrace. He broke down, crying like he had as a boy, burying his head in her shoulder. What's wrong with me? he asked. Why do I see these things? I thought I was doing something right with Gliss, but somehow it's all wrong. Hush, Renar Yasna whispered. We'll find a way through it, Renarin. Whatever it is, we'll fix it. We'll survive this somehow. The things he'd said about Dalinar. Yasna, Ivory said, becoming full-sized as he stepped free of her collar. He leaned down. Yasna, this is right. Somehow it is. 
he seemed completely stunned. It is not what makes sense, yet it is still right. How? How is this thing? Renarin pulled back from her. I saw you kill me. It's all right, Renarin. I'm not going to. But don't you see? Don't you understand what that means? Yasna shook her head. Yasna, my vision was wrong about you. What I see, it can be wrong. And we cut to Dalinar's point of view. Alone. Dalinar held a fist to his chest. So alone. It hurt to breathe, to think. But something stirred inside his fist. He opened bleeding fingers. The most, the most important. Inside his fist, he somehow found a golden sphere, a solitary glory spren. The most important step a man can take. It's not the first one, is it? It's the next one. Always the next step, Dalinar. Trembling, bleeding, agonized, Dalinar forced air into his lungs and spoke a single, ragged sentence. You cannot have my pain. And that is where the chapter ends. Let's go! The last chapter that we're covering, chapter 119, Unity. This again just has the general symbol, and we have, skipped, we have moved away from the Isla Stell as the epigraph, and for the rest of part five, it is, um, the epigraph is taken from the Way of Kings again. As, he be as I began my journey, I was challenged to defend why I insisted on traveling alone. They called it irresponsible, an avoidance of duty and obligation. Those who said this made an enormous mistake of assumption. From the Way of Kings, postscript. And we start in Dalinar's point of view. Odium stepped back. Dalinar? What is this? You cannot have my pain. Dalinar. Dalinar forced himself to his feet. You cannot have my pain. Be sensible. I killed those children. No, it- I burned the people of Rathalus. I was there, influencing you. You cannot have my pain! Dalinar stepped toward Odium. The god frowned. His fused companions shied back and Amaram raised a hand before his eyes and squinted. Were those glory sprints spinning around Dalinar? I did kill the people of Rathalus. You might have been there, but I made the choice. I decided. I killed her. It hurts so much, but I did it. I accept that. You cannot have her. You cannot take her from me again. Dalinar, what do you hope to gain keeping this burden? Dalinar sneered at the god. If I pretend. If I pretend I didn't do those things. It means that I can't have grown to become someone else. A failure? Something stirred inside of Dalinar. A warmth that he had known once before. A warm calming light. Unite them. Journey before destination. It cannot be a journey if, I do, if it doesn't have a beginning. Suddenly, awareness poured back into him. The Stormfather, distant, feeling frightened, but also surprised. Dalinar? I will take responsibility for what I have done. If I must fall, I will rise each time a better man. And we cut to Renarin's point of view. Let's go! And that is the third ideal for Dalinar. If I must fall, I will rise a better man. Yeah, I will take responsibility for what I have done. If I must fall, I will rise each time a better man. It... That's wonderful. I love that. We cut to Renarin's point of view. Renarin ran after Yasna through the loft wards of the city. People clogged the streets, but she didn't use those. 
She leaped off buildings, dropping onto rooftops of the tiers below. She ran across each of these, then leaped down to the next street. Renarin struggled to follow, afraid of his weakness, confused by the things he'd seen. He dropped to a rooftop, feeling sudden pain at the fall, though Stormlight healed that. He limped after her until the pain left. Yasna! Yasna, I can't keep up! She stopped at the edge of a rooftop. He reached her and she took his arm. You can keep up, Renarin. You're a knight radiant. I don't think I'm a radiant, Yasna. I don't know what I am. An entire stream of glory spread flew pl- past them, hundreds in a sweeping light. A sweeping formation that curved toward the base of the city. Something was glowing down there. A beacon in the dim light of an overcast city. I know what you are, Yasna said. You're my cousin. Family, Renarin. Hold my hand. Run with me. He nodded, and she towed him after her, leaping from the rooftop, ignoring the monstrous creature that climbed up nearby. Yasna seemed focused on only one thing. That light. And we cut to Dalinar's point of view. Unite them! Lori Spren streamed around Dalinar. Thousands of golden spheres, more Spren than he'd ever seen in one place. They swirled around him in a column of golden light. Beyond it, Odium stumbled back. So small. Has he always looked that small? And then we cut to Kaladin's point of view. Syl looked up. Kaladin turned to see what had drawn her attention. She looked past the fused who had landed to attack. She was staring toward the ocean of beads and the trembling lights of souls above it. Syl? She pulled him tight. Maybe you don't have to save anyone, Kaladin. Maybe it's time for someone to save you. And we cut back to Dalinar's point of view. Unite them! Dalinar thrust his left hand to the side, plunging it between realms, grabbing hold of the very fabric of existence, the world of minds, the realm of thought. He thrust his right hand to the other side, touching something vast, something that wasn't a place. It was all places in one. He'd seen this before in the moment when Odium had let him glimpse the spiritual realm. Today, he held it in his hand. The fused scrambled away. Amaram pushed down his faceplate, but that wasn't enough. He stumbled back, arm raised. Only one person remained in place, a young Parshwoman, the one that Dalinar had visited in the visions. What are you? She whispered as he stood with arms outstretched, holding to the lands of mind and spirit. He closed his eyes, breathing out, listening to a sudden stillness, and within it, a simple, quiet voice. A woman's voice, so familiar to him. I forgive you. Dalinar opened his eyes and knew what the Parshwoman saw in him. Swirling clouds, glowing light, was that thunder, and lightning. Or was that Evie? Dalinar would tell you that that was Evie. Because Dalinar was asking cultivation for forgiveness. Dalinar would say that that was Evie speaking to him as he was touching the spiritual realm. Yasna would say that he was so full of investiture at this point, so full of magic. And when lots of magic gathers in one place, it kind of creates a consciousness of, it, of its own. And that that magic was pushing him to act. Not... Because Yasna... Because Dalinar believes in an afterlife and Yasna doesn't. Mm-hmm. So Yasna would say no. And Sanderson has said, I'm not saying which one of them is correct. Mm-hmm. Dalinar believes that he's hearing her from the afterlife. Yasna believes that it is the investiture talking to him. That... I just thought of cultivation because he asked cultivation yeah. for forgiveness. He didn't ask Evie for forgiveness. No, but that's really what he wants, is uh, forgiveness from, from Evie for, for what happened. Yeah, but Dalinar thought he couldn't ask Evie for forgiveness, so mm-hmm. he asked cultivation. Okay. Mm-hmm. Dalinar opened his eyes and knew what the Parshwoman saw in him. Swirling clouds, glowing light, 
thunder and lightning. I am unity. He slammed both hands together and combined three realms into one. And we cut to Kaladin's point of view. I'm sorry, what? Shadesmar exploded with light. Fused screamed as a wind blasted them away, though Kaladin felt nothing. That's not a power the Stormfather gives him. What the What the hell? The light faded, leaving a brilliant, glowing pillar in the middle of the sea. Beneath it, the beads locked together, turning into a highway of glass. Kaladin blinked, taking Shallan's hand as she helped him to his feet. Adolin had forced himself to sit up, holding his bloodied stomach. What? What is it? Honor's perpendicularity, so, so whispered. A well of power that pierces all three realms. She looked to Kaladin. A pathway home. So yes, Dalinar opened a perpendicularity. How? Uh, we cut to Ash's point of view. Tong gripped Ash's hands. Her hand. Ash looked at his fingers. Thousands of years could come and pass, and she could lose lifetimes to the dream. But those hands. She'd never forget those hands. Ash, he said. She looked up at him, then gasped and raised her fingers to her lips. How long? he asked. Tong, I'm sorry. I'm so, so sorry. How long? They say it's been four millennia. I don't always note the passing of time. Four thousand years. She held his hand tighter. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He pulled his hand from hers and stood up, walking through the tent. She followed, apologizing again. But what good were words? They'd betrayed him. Tom brushed aside the front drapes and stepped out. He looked up at the city expanding above them, at the sky, at the wall. Soldiers in breastplates and chain rushed past to join a fight farther along. Four thousand years. Ash. We couldn't continue. I... we thought... Ash. He took her hand again. What a wonderful thing. Wonderful? We left you, Tom. What a gift you gave them. Time to recover for once. Between desolations. Time to progress. They never had a chance before. But this time... Yes. Maybe they do. No, Tom. You can't be like this. A wonderful thing indeed, Ash. You can't be like this, Tom. You have to hate me. Hate me, please. Aww. He turned from her, but still held her <laughs> hand, pulling her after him. Come. He's waiting. Who? I don't know. And then we cut to Teft's point of view. Teft gasped in the darkness. Can you see it, Teft? Can you feel the words? I'm broken. Who isn't? Life breaks us, Teft. Then we fill the cracks with something stronger. I make myself sick. Teft, that's what the words are about. Oh, Kalek. The shouts. Fighting. His friends. I... Storm you! Be a man for once in your life! Teft licked his lips and spoke. I will protect those I hate. Even... even if the one I hate most is... myself. Oh! <laughs> 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 we cut to Renarin's point of view. Renarin fell to the last level of the city. Uh, he stumbled there, his hand slipping from Yasna's. Soldiers marched through these streets. Yasna! Oh, Armoram soldiers changed sides. They serve Odium now. I saw it in vision. She ran right toward them. Yasna! The first soldier swung his sword at her. Yasna ducked the weapon, then shoved her hand against him, throwing him backward. 
He crystallized in the air, slamming into the next man who caught the transformation like a disease. He slammed into another man, knocking him back, as if the full force of Yasna's shove had transferred to him. He crystallized a moment later. Yasna spun, a shard blade forming in her gloved safe hand, her skirt rippling as she sliced through six men in one sweep. The sword vanished as she slapped her hand into the wall of a building behind her, and that wall puffed away into smoke, causing the roof to crash down, blocking the alley between buildings, where other soldiers had been approaching. She swept her hand upward and air coalesced into stone, forming steps that she took to climb to the rooftop of the next building. Renarin gaped. It will be great, vast, wonderful, Bliss said from within Renarin's heart. It will be beautiful, Renarin. Look! A well blossomed inside of him, power like he'd never before felt, an awesome, overwhelming strength, stormlight unending, a source of it so vast he was stunned. Yasna, he shouted, then belatedly ran up the steps she'd created. He slowed, gaping again as he looked through a gap in the wall and saw a column of light, raising higher and higher, it stretched toward the clouds. And we cut to Navani's point of view. Fen and her consort backed away from the storm of light. Navani exulted in it. She leaned out far over the side of the wall, laughing like a fool. Glory spren streamed around her, brushing her hair, flowing toward the already impossible number that coursed around Dalinar in a pillar that stretched hundreds of feet into the air. Then, lights sparked to life in a wave across the city, the top of the wall, the streets below. Gemstones that had been lying ignored, scattered from the broken bank, drank in stormlight from Dalinar. They lit the ground with a thousand pinpricks of color. And we cut back to Dalinar's point of view. And, uh, this fucking line, this line uh, drives me crazy because I still don't really know what he's talking the about. The one you're about to uh, say? So, yes, yes. That comes from Odium. He says, no. He stepped forward. No, we killed you. We killed you. We um, killed you. I don't know who the fuck we is. Well, we're gonna find out. Hold on. Is there maybe another god who's in on the same plan who wants to destroy the shards? There's there's another antagonistic shard I can think of that might have been involved, but like it, we don't have an answer as to which one it was. Knowing Brandon, it's probably someone that we don't know about. Maybe someone that didn't want them to become shards in the first place. That, or there is a theory that Cultivation is playing fucking 4D chess. Uh, uh, I mean, I, she set all this up for Dalinar. That's why she made him see the visions so that he would remember all this stuff before Odium confronted him with it. Like, yeah. who knows? <laughs> I, well, I don't think that she's doing it for, to help Odium. I think she's doing it. No, 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 no. I'm saying there might be a 4D chess where like, she might have been involved in Honor dying as a, like, all right, Honor needs to die so that in the long run we can get Odium. Because hmm. that's, that's kind of a cultivate, you know, cut off a branch so that the tree can grow, kill a shard so that the rest of them can be safe if they eventually deal with Odium. I, I suppose, because like, if, if Honor had still been here, then they probably would have carried on the same way they always had. They wouldn't have mm -hmm. developed at all. They wouldn't have grown in the time between desolations, and so they never would have survived. But because Honor wasn't there, they were able to grow and develop as a society so that when Odium came back and caused another desolation, they are most likely going to be okay. Hopefully. 
It, it's we have no. It's so crazy. It's that on actually that makes sense. Yeah. I could see it being cultivation if that's why. I I'm hoping this this gets answered in book five because I don't want to wait too much longer for that. But yeah, <laughs> uh, there's there's more hints that we'll talk about in book four that cultivation is kind of got some 40 chess stuff going on. But you would think that there would be more antagonism between things of honor and things of cultivation if that was the case. And yeah, there's not. Yeah, if they knew. Well, that's true. That's interesting, though. I'm certain we're going yeah. to get that answer. I'm not concerned about when we get that answer. Mm-hmm. Unlike you, Fair who enough. desperately wants an I really, answer. I desperately want an answer about what the fuck he means by that. There are certain things that are, like, set up enough to where it's so weird that they have to answer it. And then there are some things mm-hmm. that sometimes people will set up, but it's unclear about whether they will ever answer it. And those mm-hmm. are the things I desperately want to know. If it's obvious that they're going to answer it, I'm not too worried about it. I get what you mean. This is, like, this is a question that is clearly going to be answered yeah. at some point. It's just Unlike when, certain you know? things in Kingdom Hearts where we have no idea when, yeah. if they're ever going to bring that up again. Or if they're just gonna drop it. And so I'm like, but wait, wait, don't, don't, don't drop that. Tell me. Explain. <laughs> bring it back, bring it back. Please. Explain, please. Delinar stood within a pillar of light and spinning glory spren, one hand to each side, clutching the realms that made up reality. Forgiven. The pain he'd so recently insisted that he would keep started to fade away on its own. These words are accepted. How? What have you done? Odium stumbled back. Kill him! Attack him! <laughs> Parshwoman didn't move, but Amaram stepped forward, summoning his shard blade. Dalinar took his hand from the glowing pillar and held it out. You can change. You can become a better person. I did. Journey before destination. I don't think Amaram wants to. No, he'll never forgive me. The bridgeman? Not him. Amaram tapped his chest. Him. I'm sorry, Dalinar. He raised a familiar shard blade, Dalinar's shard blade, Oathbringer, passed from tyrant to tyrant to tyrant. A portion of light split from Dalinar's column. Amaram swung Oathbringer, but the light met the shard blade with an explosion of sparks, throwing Amaram backward. The light resolved into a man with shoulder-length hair, a blue uniform, and a silvery spear in his hand. A second glowing form split off into Shalon Devar, a long, thin shard blade forming in her hands. And then, blessedly, Adolin appeared. Let's go! And we cut to Lyft's point of view. Mistress, Windle said. Oh, mistress! For once, Lyft didn't have the will to tell him to shut up. She focused everything on those tendrils, creeping up her arms. The assassin lay on the ground, staring upward, practically covered in those vines. Lyft held them at bay, her will against the darkness. Until... Light. Like a sudden detona- detonation, a force of light flashed across the field. Gemstones on the ground flared up, capturing stormlight, and the assassin screamed, drawing in light like glowing mist. The vines shriveled as the sword's thirst was slaked by the stormlight. Lift fell back on the stone and pried her hands off Zeth's head. I knew I liked you, a voice said in Lift's mind. The sword? You almost ate him, Lift said. You almost starved ate me! Oh, I wouldn't do that, the voice said. She seemed completely baffled voice growing slow like she was drowsy. Oh, I forgot that Lyft has met this sword before. I forgot about that. Maybe I was just really, really hungry. So the part of that that should be interesting, uh, Lyft hears the voice as a woman. Lyft hears Nightblood as a woman. That's weird, but okay. Yes. 
not sure why that is, but Lyft hears a woman when Nightblood talks into her head. Gender fluid. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Lyft supposed she couldn't blame someone for that. The assassin climbed unsteadily to his feet. His face was crisscrossed with lines where the vines had been. That somehow left his skin gray in streaks. Lyft's arm bore the same. Zeth walked toward the glowing column of light, leaving an afterimage behind him. Come, he said. And we cut back to Dalinar's point of view. Elokar, Dalinar thought, but no one else came through the column of light. And he knew. Knew somehow that the king was not coming. He closed his eyes and accepted that grief. He had failed the king in many ways. Stand up and do better. He opened his eyes and slowly his column of glory spren faded. The power within him withdrew, leaving him exhausted. Fortunately, the field was covered in glittering gemstones, stormlight in plenty. Wait a second. Where's Moash? Where is Moash? We're not we're going to we're going to see him again by the end of the book, but he's not here. Okay. I was like, wait a second. That doesn't seem completed or even brought back. We'll come back to we'll come back to Moash. Okay. A direct conduit to the spiritual realm, the Stormfather said. You renew spheres, Dalinar? We are connected. I was bonded to men before. This never happened then. Honor was alive then. We are something different. His remnants, your soul, my will. Kaladin Stormbless stepped up beside Dalinar and Shalon Devar stood on the other side. Yasna emerged from the city while Renarin popped out behind her, then cried out and ran for Adolin. He grabbed his older brother in an embrace, then gasped. Adolin was wounded? Good lad, Dalinar thought, as Renarin immediately set to healing his brother. Two more people crossed the battlefield. Lift he had anticipated, but the assassin? Zeth scooped the silvery sheath off the ground and slammed his black shard blade into it, before stepping up to join Dalinar. Skybreaker. Edge Dancer. That was seven. He would have expected three more. There, the Stormfather said. Behind your niece. Two more people appeared in the shadow of the wall, and it's tall and ash. Oh, wait, oh. I know them, the Stormfather said, sounding surprised. I know them from long, long ago. Memories of days when I did not fully live. Dalinar, you are in the presence of divinities. I've grown accustomed to it. <laughs> Odium had retreated into nothingness, though his fused remained, added most of, as did most of the troops, and one strange spren, the one like black smoke. Beyond it, the thrill still encompassed the north side of the landing, near the water. Emram had ten thousand men, and maybe half of those had made it into the city so far. They had wilted before Dalinar's display. But now... Wait. Those two only make nine. Something told me there should be one more. I don't know. Perhaps they haven't been found yet? Regardless, even with the bond you are just one man. Radiants are not immortal. How do you face this army? Uh, Dalinar, there are ten of you. You just don't know. That Venley is hanging out with a spread. Oh. Um. Oh, yeah. So, so, uh, Mango, I present to you uh, the only scene so far in these books where all ten main characters are in the same place. Oh. Oh. Dalinar, Kaladin said. Orders, sir? The enemy ranks were recovering. Amram stirred as well. The thrill had Dalinar most worried, however. He glanced down at his arm and noticed something. The lightning had broken his arm fabriel. Dalinar could see the tiny gemstones Navani had placed to power it. Sir? Kaladin asked again. The enemy is trying to crush this city, Captain. We're going to hold it against his forces. Seven radiants? Yasna said. Uncle, that seems a tall order. Even if one of us is apparently the storming assassin in white. 
I serve Dalinar Kolin, Zeth's son son Volano whispered. I cannot know truth, so I follow one who does. Whatever we do, Shalon said, we should do it quickly, before those soldiers... Radarin! Sir! We need to hold out until troops arrive from Urethiru. Fen doesn't have the numbers to fight alone. Get to the Oath Gate, stop that Thunderclast up there from destroying it, and open the portal. Sir! Shalon, we don't have an army yet. Light weave one up for us and keep these soldiers busy. They're consumed by a bloodlust that I suspect will make them easier to distract. Yasna, the city we're defending happens to have a big storming hole in its wall. Can you hold that wall and stop anyone who tries to get through? She nodded. What about me? Kaladin asked. Dalinar pointed at Amaram. He's going to try to kill me for what I do next, and I could use a bodyguard. As I recall, you have a score to settle with the High Lord. You could say that. <laughs> Lift, I believe I already gave you an order. Take the assassin and get me that ruby. Together we hold this city until Renarin returns with troops. Any questions? Um, Lift said. Could you maybe... Tell me where to get something to eat? Dalinar glanced at her. Something to eat? There should be a supply dump just inside the wall. Thanks! Dalinar sighed, then started walking toward the water. Oh yeah, he doesn't know. I forgot that he doesn't know. Nobody knows. Sir! Kaladin called. Where are you going? The enemy brought a very big stick to this battle, Captain. I'm going to take it away. <laughs> what? What? And that what? is where I had planned to leave off. What? We have a Discord. The link is in the episode description. You guys can follow us on Twitter at SpeakStormlight. You guys can email us at SpeakTheWordsASP at gmail.com. You guys can follow me on Twitter at Sean underscore AFK. And our cover art was made by our good friend Alks. That's at Alks underscore BeagBoy on Twitter. Thank you guys once again so much for listening. I hope you are excited for the Battle of Thalen Field next time. But for now, remember, life before death, strength before weakness, journey before destination.